Powered from the Paramount Square Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 276 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Ann Fon of Drew Estate as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Race introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the standing of the spirit ideal and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Celez carries a bundle of Coyolo Olor and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes and an affordable price. Be sure to ask your retailer for Saga Celez. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is the top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco, has been carefully hand-selected, and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary offers in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Manion, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed Scott brands include the Perdomo Double H 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And one mention Cavalier of Geneva. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars. Smoke gold and stay gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. That's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist and join that movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as getting high ratings from the cigar industry press. You want to follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime, episode 276. Today is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. This is Will Cooper. I am in the Perdomo Cigar Studios here on the Black Stage. And I'm joined, as always, cross-country by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How are you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's been a slow week for baseball for me because the Phillies have been off twice this week. Well, today is a super weird day because there's only like four or five games going on. Call so fame. Like, yeah, because yeah, it's a very yeah, it's a very short kind of a schedule for tonight. So yeah, the Cubs won. The Cubs won. The Cubs won. And well, they, they haven't won yet. Well, they haven't won yet. Let's not blow it. All right. Let's not blow it. 
Yeah, you, you don't want to jinx him on. You don't want to jinx him on. But uh, <laughs> hey, we'll bring let's bring him right in on Fonda Drew Estate here. On welcome, man. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, welcome Thanks to Primetime, man. We're glad to have you. I feel like we do this all the time a lot. You know, we have these chats, but tonight we'll be doing it on the air. So for everyone to see. So uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks. We're going to have a lot of fun and talk a lot about what's going on at Drew State. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, I think we were all talking about the weather. Um, And at least on the east here, Aaron, it's been brutally hot and humid. I mean, it's oh, just, yeah. this is this is the the dark depths of summer here in the Carolinas right now. It's been uh, it's kind of like mid 80s uh, here, but um, not horrible. It's pretty mild for the summer so far. So it's been nice. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, muggy weather and then we've got the bugs out, too. So, it's, it's a <laughs> yeah, I uh, think we have to go with that. You know, when I was out, Aaron, it was about two years ago when I was out your way mm-hmm. and we visited you. It was I remember it was actually kind of cool that night. I mean, it was actually yep. I want to say I had a jacket. I think I, I borrowed a jacket from uh, those guys <laughs> Steve, that night. Yeah, because I didn't even have one. It was. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so I thought that was kind of a inter- you know, kind of just interesting. And that was that was I think August. I think it was a little, we were more in August by that point. Yeah, it's um, it, I mean, it cools down pretty well in the evening, uh, except for when it gets to like there's like a week or two where it gets just really hot, like it gets into the hundreds, and it'll stay kind of you know into the 80s in the evening. But most of the time, it cools down pretty good in the evening. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I was telling on, you know, when I was down in Miami a few weeks ago, it was um not pleasant at all. Mm. it was uh like it was you just the time of the year you don't want to be in miami yeah indoors only it's right indoors only um and i know chicago can actually you know you don't think of it but it does get humid in chicago oh yeah um because i used to go up there every month and uh i would dread those july and august trips really Mm -hmm. and i couldn't dress casual it was not fun so yeah, I've, I've gone there for the taste of Chicago a few times, and it's pretty, it's pretty uh, toasty and humid during that time. Yeah, and then you know when you're in those downtown areas, um, same with New York City, there's just like you get there's this extra layer of heat from all the, you know, air conditioning running basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> the and the automobiles. It's it it adds this extra layer, and it's very hard to explain unless you've experienced it. But you, yeah. but. but it, it, yeah, it's just this. It's like worse, you know. You just feel the heat kind of going through you and stuff. So, uh, but uh, so no. It's uh, let's kind of what's everyone smoking tonight? I know everyone is smoking tonight. So, I'm yeah, smoking you know the H ninety nine Papa's Fritas from the uh, Freestyle Live Pack. So I'm trying it out. That's sweet. Yeah, I've got a, a kind of special cigar. You know, I, I got a T fifty two Corona Double. So that was the first box me and a buddy split back in the days. Nice. Yep. And uh, we all went Liga Pravada. I, I am in the H99 camp. I went with the Robusto tonight. Cool. So uh, this is actually the one on that when we went to lunch, JD gave me. So, oh, yeah, it's the same one. Yep. So I just kind of held it for when we were going to do a Drew State show. So, um, but yeah, I'd say I told you'd be smoking a Lancero on. I was a little surprised. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I had. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a it's a long show, so you know. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's a, you know actually, you know the the T fifty two on um, it is a, it's a very special cigar for me. First of all, that was the first uh traditional Drew State cigar I had, even before Chateau Chateau um Real actually. So I had that one beforehand, 
Um, and it actually was my first cigar of the year as well when I started. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, it's always been a great cigar. Um, and believe it or not, I have a box, uh, like I have a few cigars left from 2009 that are in my humidor. And, uh, I think the 52s hold the age much better than the nines. I'll be honest with you. The 52s hold the age pretty well on them is what I'll say. Yeah. You know, the the cigars change over time, you know, so people go, the Ligas don't age well, they, they, they sit. So, you know, what you're looking for in the cigar may, may change. It's just like when you age beer. You know, it, it may start out really edgy and then it becomes a lot smoother, you know, yeah. as the flavors meld together. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, so, on, uh, you know, this is the first time we're going to have you on the show. We're going to talk about all the things you're doing at Drew Estate and, you know, some of the projects that are going on. It's, there's always something going on at Drew Estate, which is always so it makes it easy to have a Drew Estate person on the show. It's, um, you guys always have stuff going on. But what we always like to do to initiate our first time guests is we like to just go back to your beginnings um, and talk about what you can recall about your first cigar experience. Yeah, you know, my first cigar experience, I was out in Cabo and I had won a, a trip there from, from work. I worked at Career Builder. And at the time, um, they awarded the top 10% of the non-sales force to go on the sales trip. And, and you know, when you go on sales trips, it, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, so I went there and I, I saw in a humidor, I was like, oh, some Monte Cristo in a tubo. And I, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, well, well, let me try it. It's like, I should be here celebrating, right? So I smoked <laughs> that. Uh, I really loved it. And then I came back, uh, you know, and I was with like my friend Andre Williams. He went on this, this trip with me and a whole bunch of people. And it was just like, just all celebrating every day. So I don't know how many cigars I smoked, but it was quite a few. And, and at the time I was like a cigarette smoker. So it was mm-hmm. a, definitely a big transition to just be smoking a stick for like hours on end uh, versus like, you know, your quick couple minute smoke. Yeah. Right. Now you said you were a cigarette smoker. So or after this experience, did, did it kind of shift Like you went to cigars, you gave up cigarettes? How did that kind of go? Oh, yeah. Um, once I got back to Chicago and it was probably March, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and the, it was a dead of winter. So I went to the cigar shop. Uh, it was called Blue Havana in, in Chicago. But I know uh, that store. I know that store. Yeah. yeah. And so I went in there and I asked the guy, I was like, hey, man, I, I don't know a lot about cigars, but um, could you recommend me something? And, and he goes like, yeah, what, what, what's your flavor profile? And I'm like, I, I, well, I just told you, I don't know. Anything about cigars. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> right. about, dude. <laughs> and he goes to me, he's like, well, cigars are spicy. Or not spicy and or they are they're you know have a lot of nicotine or no nicotine and at the time i was like all right well give me the most nicotine and the spiciest cigar you got and the dude literally hands me a liga nine corona duble and <laughs> uh, i don't know how many dollars i spent on it because the chicago tax is wild right but i remember i smoked it and i was like yo um so it was a really nice introduction to cigars in, in, in the humidor very good very good with that um and I kind of, you know, again, kind of knowing your background, you kind of, in your personality, you, you got into this pretty quick, it sounds like. Like, you, you you started smoking, but you really started getting into it. You know, you know what it was? It, it was, I'd, I'd be at home, and, you know, I'd be on Reddit, and then I'd watch these cigar shows. And I remember the first cigar show I watched was probably Cigar Chat. And I think it was either John Huber on there, you know, and, and I just got fascinated listening to the stories about cigar making and, and just the industry and the business. Cause like, you know, you, you hear the knowledge and, and you just watch all these people and it's like, 
wow, it's 10 years later and now I'm, I'm the guy on this show, right? Yeah. So it, it's a crazy journey where, where life takes you, you know? Yeah, you know, it's a cigar chat. I remember when cigar chat, I don't, I think before it was a show, it was actually a cigar chat, right? I think that's how it started. Um, yeah, there yeah. was a chat room there. It was a I chat room. By Ro- Robbie started that one years ago, yeah. Yeah, got on the chat room, and that's how I got on my first cigar spar. So there were a bunch of people there going like, hey, anyone want to go on this safari trip? I'm like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I first got to know you first through Reddit. I think when we were more actively on Reddit back then. Um, and then I, I think I met you at a trade show. You were with the Federation guys lugging a camera around. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> you I remember Ahn would have all this equipment. Like, like what, yeah. did he do? what, what straw did he draw to do that? 30 pounds. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that's the, the price it took to sneak into the show when you love cigars so much <laughs> and you're just like, this is the Super Bowl. And I'm right. going to find a way to get to the Super Bowl, right? And I remember I got in and it was on some company's pass, which I know you guys. You know, pay your dues. Yeah. So I hopped the fence and uh, yeah, I slept it all. But I remember a different thing because I remember we had dinner at, at some burger place or something. And like, you did not give me the time of day. And I was like, I don't know what's up with this dude. Man. <laughs> and then I went to the big smoke and there was a dude from La Polina that, that has the same hairdo and, and looks very similar to you. And I was like, why doesn't this guy say hi? I don't, I don't understand what's going on with this coop. Man. Like, I was, you know, the worst place to meet me on is at a trade show because I'm so wrapped around the axle. Okay. I mean, Aaron will tell you this. Okay. And this year I was more wrapped around the axle than probably ever. I had to literally take a timeout this year. So I do get wrapped around the axle. And I'm just not the best person to meet at a trade show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're working and you're exhausted. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. After my first trade show, I was like, okay, I think I walked 30,000 steps and I, I can't move because, yeah. like, I carried 30 pounds of camera gear. You know? Yeah. And then sometimes I remember the audio went out and we're like, we have to go back to this booth. <laughs> oh, man. The, listen, Aaron is Aaron doesn't do the video and he's probably the smartest move. This video is so much freaking work, okay, is what I'll just tell. People don't realize it. I mean, and I got to say, look, we did a like Ben and Ben, who really does all that stuff. He did a really good job this year. I mean, we only we only had one audio that was off and it really was actually two we had. And it wasn't really bad is what I'm saying. It's like, well, turn your volume up. We'll be fine with it. I mean, just remember to turn it back down. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard work. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, every year I said, why do we do this? Like, it's just so much work. No, it was always McTavish doing all that work. He, he, they were just like, hey, can you shoot video? I'm like, I, I don't, but I, I think I can learn. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's how I got in. Oh, wow. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, so you, and you were also very active on Reddit. And I just remember we're going back to like 2014, 15. And, you know, Reddit always has its characters, but there was, there's the good guys who are on Reddit. And you and Joe Grow were, were those good guys, I want to say. You know, like, because times oh, yeah. I just I mean, I, yeah I just got really discouraged with Reddit, but then you guys were out there and it made it a lot better. Well, yeah, I, I found out about Reddit from a buddy of mine, and because you know another buddy of mine was like, "Hey, trade on this website," and you would trade, and and it would take like weeks to get a trade. You'd mm-hmm. go on to Reddit and you could get like five trades done in, in a week or more, and we just got into it, right? And we would go meet people, and then I'd jump on, hop onto the virtual hearth. So, you know, I didn't know a lot about cigars. I remember it was the dead of winter and I'm in my garage and I'm like, let me log into this chat. 
And it was like five or six dudes. And it was like the old timers are giving this young dude a really tough time about some <laughs> stupid decision he made. And, you know, good life advice at the end yeah. of the day, good intentions. But like, I was like, what did I just walk into? Yeah. You know, but right. I, I, guys were cool. Right. And so those Reddit guys got me just like into this, like, you know, hyper mode of trying to just learn about cigars, you know, especially the first time. I went out to meet people in the cigar community, right? And they're like, hey, you, you know, I, I didn't have a car. So I was like, can someone pick me up from the train station? You know, there, there wasn't really Uber back then. And so somebody picked me up. I met 30 dudes and I had 30 cigars to my name in a Tupperware. And those Reddit guys are like, you're new? And <laughs> I must have walked out with 60 plus. And you yeah. know, it was really cool because, you know, I, and I met up with some of those guys actually a couple of weeks ago up at Casa de Monte Cristo in Chicago. And I was like, you know, what's what's a, that was a huge inflection point for me, because if that experience sucks, I, I don't think I would be doing what I do today. And I was mm -hmm. like, because you guys were awesome and just kept feeding my enthusiasm, dude, this is what I do for a living. And I'm like, I, I'm grateful. You know, so it was, it was a great to re reunite with a lot of those dudes. And, you know, it, it, they were really influential on, on just making me care about cigars because they would constantly be the cigar nerds telling you about cigars telling you about the companies, telling you about the factories, telling you about how they make the tobacco. And to me, I, I was like fascinated by all of it. And, and then every time they tell you about it, you, you try the cigar out and you're like, oh, wow, that is different. Or, you know, th this is something really cool. Yeah, no, uh, it uh, you know, definitely was. I mean, like I said, there were very good aspects to that community I saw too. Um, and, uh, you know, I know McTavish was really, I mean, McTavish, I would say of all the guys I know was the heaviest Reddit guy. Um, you know, at least who I knew before I knew, you know, uh, you, you and Joe. But I guess it was my understanding on that Sam Morales from Drew Estate found you guys on Reddit and, and basically gave you an opportunity to go to Drew Estate. Is that how it all went down? Or was it the other way around? Like you soak out Sam saying, hey, I'd like to get into this. No, actually, what happened was I met him at Safari from the Cigar Fed. You know, those guys, uh -huh. were, I think, back to back years. And then I think I was at the trade show and I was just like, yeah, I think I was drinking with him at like three in the morning. Okay. And then he randomly calls me, you know, in December and he's like, Hey, I was looking at your LinkedIn. Um, looks like you're really good with numbers and you, and you know a lot about cigars and he's trying to persuade. Right. So he's like, you know, there's a lot of people in cigars. You don't know how rare that is. And I'm like, really? All right. Well, you know, let me, let me, you know, they're like, Hey, we, we might have a job and it's brand manager for Liga Pravada. Herrera Esteli and Undercrown, you know, and uh, first thing in my head, I'm like, what, what in hell is a brand manager? But it sounds cool. Like, I, <laughs> right. yeah, I was like, I'm, not, I'm down to check this out. So I had to go on Google. There wasn't chat GPT then. So you couldn't figure out all, all the questions and answers for all that. But, you know, I, I, I got interviewed and, and then like now I'm here, right? 10 years later or well, no, seven years later, I'm becoming an old timer grizzled dude at the company, which is kind of crazy to think. Right. You know? mm -hmm. Crazy. <laughs> And you, when you got this opportunity, right? I mean, you just mentioned the brands, right? Yeah. You weren't given junior brands here. You're, you're given, look, the brands you just rattled off are, are some of your, those are some of the real foundational brands of, of, of Drew Estate today. Um, so that, 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 you had to look at that. I'm like, this is a great opportunity you've had here. You know, that, that's the thing about Drew Estate. We're, we're always trying to take some risk. I think that was an extremely huge risk, but you, you know, Jonathan Drew, you know, that, that guy takes massive yep, swings. He and does. Sometimes he hits home runs and sometimes they're, they're bump singles, but either yep. way, he's going to take a swing. And he's I think, take... um, you know, me being here for seven years, I think it was a good choice. I, I'm still here and we're, we're still having a great time and, and, you know, really loving doing our thing. 
Right. Now, you came into Drew Estate, it, I'm saying it was 16, right? 2016. 17, yeah. Seven, okay. Okay, so Drew Estate had already been acquired by, by Swisher at that point. So you weren't really, you didn't have the experience with Drew Estate pre-Swisher. That's correct, yeah. You and I were talking a little last night, and I kind of mentioned to you, I think, one thing that I've been pretty impressed with, and I've been in corporate acquisitions on both ends so i understand how like this works i guess but i never seen like in my opinion this is the best job i've seen in at least what i've observed of, of a preserving of the culture like you guys it seemed even though i know you weren't there it seemed like that you guys really preserved this culture um but you had experience with drew estate prior to that too so i mean can you talk a little about that you mean the, the, the experience before i was in drew estate well, or, you, you knew what Drew Estate was like before Swisher. You knew what Drew oh, Estate yeah. was like before Swisher. Yeah. You now come to work for Drew Estate. I mean, it's a, and Swisher's a corporation. But how did you see the culture in terms of when you came in? Is Did you expect it to be as buttoned? Did you expect it to be very buttoned down? Or did you expect it to be carefree? And how did it yeah. end up really being when I, you went I, in I there? mean, I expected it to be rather carefree. So the, the first day I'm hired, right? And I came from a background of corporate finance and, and sales compensation. So, you know, numbers is my game, right? And I'm like... Yeah. Hey, where are the sales reports? They're like sales reports. None of us have sales reports. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, what, what? What are you talking about? Wait, none of you guys in marketing have any sales. Re- no, you don't know anything about that. You got to talk to finance. I'm like, holy cow! And I got plugged in there, and I started making dashboards about sales data. And I was like, this is the brand growth for the last however many years. They're like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I mean, use Excel and. Yeah. You know, and so that was what I walked into after coming from giant Fortune 500, you know, com- you know, multinational yeah. companies. And I was like, well, you know, I, I think there's some work to do here. So it, it's going to be fun making things work. Right. Right. I, I remember on as we were on Safari and, you know, so- this is when Saka still was with the company. And it's like 2013, I want to say it was. And and we went we went like on the last Safari. It was like in May. so. Uh, the trade show was coming up in like eight weeks, and I just remember Saka said, "Yeah, that booth, it's gonna be like romper room." He goes, <laughs> and it was very, very chaotic. I gotta be honest, he was right. It was very chaotic in that booth. Then Sam came in, and Sam like completely turned it around. Is what I gotta just say. Like one year, he just like that booth became that well-oiled machine that we're now very familiar with after that. So, um, I think that was the, the, you guys were probably already putting some of the structure in place when when that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I remember my first time at the booth. I think it was uh, IPCPR 2015. You know, you walk in the, the, the floor. It's the biggest booth you could see. It's the loudest booth, and it's in front of the front door. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. And I, and I just saw, and I was like, I got to sneak up on top of that bridge. And, and I did. <laughs> yeah. No one was there. I was like, shh. shh. Now you can't really do that at the trade shows because we usually have a guy there going, hey, you can't go up there. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but now right. you're the guy that can get us up there. Now so you can get us up right. there. Now you can get us up there. Exactly, because I've never been up there. I got to be honest with you. I haven't been up there. Oh, because then, then the bridge there. went away. The that's because you for didn't. A while. Come, that's because you didn't come to TPE. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, we're back at TPE. <laughs> yeah, we brought it back. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we had our DJ up there. <laughs> I, I, so I am worried. On I am worried about doing video with you guys because we are getting flagged for so much music right now. Just oh, on no. you. I mean, we this year I've had issues. I'm just telling. And lucky, all the music I got flagged for is licensed on YouTube, so it's yeah. been it's been tough this year. Um, 
So uh, just saying, it's it's that's that's what gets that's what keeps me up at night doing this video is why it's so hard as well. Um, <laughs> that big stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you came you came into Drew Estate. Um, so you said you were getting this title of a brand manager. What exactly does a brand manager do? Yeah, so now I'm brand director, and now I'm working on our brand strategy. So, so that's you know, with each brand, we we try to make marketing plans and treat each one of them kind of like a business, and and then it, it's working with the factory on on making cigars. Uh, I chair our product development team. I mean, today I was talking with our factory and our, our supply chain manager or, or VP about a bunch of tobacco issues. Uh, I work with Willie. We'll fly down to Nicaragua, work on samples and and, and taste the samples, approve the samples. Um, we'll work on the marketing budget. We'll work, you know, I'll work on, you know, I'm, I'm the one guy that actually has the most input on the world supply of Liga Pravada. You know, I look at all the tobacco forecasts and I'm like, all right, you know, this is how much tobacco I think we can do this year and, and, and keep things going. Because I mean, you look at a leaf like T52, that's a three-year fermentation time. Right. So if you, and, and look at climate change in the last, you know, however many years, I mean, I'd say climate has become a lot more extreme which has resulted in sometimes poor crops. So it's like there's a certain amount of leaf and we can't burn it all in one year because if bad weather comes, I mean, that's just a disaster. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because that's a few of the things I did. I mean, I used to do the swag and then now that's been like, you know, kind of like pawned off to other folks. And and yeah, I mean, I remember at one point, I mean, me and my, my other guy, Josh, we were like shooting videos and stuff. So writing the script for the video, shooting the video. Yeah, it, it was like, all hands on deck, do whatever you can. If no one's not solving the problem, pick it up and do it. Right, right, yeah. right, right. The um, What I'll say is when you guys work on these projects, right, and we're going to get into some of the specific projects behind them in a bit, but is it, it, I imagine it's like a chicken and egg scenario, right? And you could tell me if I'm right or wrong with this, where maybe someone comes up with a concept, like I want to do a, uh, an underground 10th anniversary. Is it like someone comes up with the concept and then you develop the, the blend or is it the other way around where these blends are developed and your job is to try to come up with the concept or both? Yeah, it, it runs around, you know, ideas can come at any time. You know, right. sometimes it's like we're getting ready to to do presentations on our you know next year's lineup and somebody has a great idea at the end. They're like, hey, what if we did this? You know, we're, we're such cigar geeks that we just right. sit in an office and we smoking and, and just looking at computer screen and, and they're going like, Hey, what if we did this or this or another thing? Well, and, and then you go down to the factory, you're smoking cigars and there's a lot more time to think, you know, versus like your day to day. It's like, you're just getting hammered with meetings. You've got reports, do presentations to do whatever the case, where when you get the time to think and ideate, and those times are rare, you know, we, we actually spend time together. Like, Hey, let's work late at night. I'm like, this is where the best ideas come from. Right. Or, hey, let's talk to the salespeople in the field. You know, they, they have some of the best ideas come from the field. Right. So it, it comes from all directions. And, and the faster we can, like, coalesce around, hey, what's the tobacco got to look like? What kind of price points are we looking at? Who is this cigar for? That is constantly what we're asking. Who is going right. to smoke this cigar? And if a bunch of us get excited about it, that is our number one criteria, whether or not we want to do the project, because that's the heaviest weight on the project scale of how we, we judge the project. It's like, does anyone care? And are you excited about it? Because if none of us are excited about it or not, all of us are excited about it. I don't know how we're going to convince the, our retail partners to pick up this product. I don't think we can genuinely convince consumers to go pick this up and make it part of their rotation in their life. Right. Yeah. So really take our time to really find the projects that we find interesting, exciting, or just like cool because at the end of the day, I mean, the entire marketing department are a bunch of cigar enthusiasts. 
you know, you think about my favorite car brand is Mustang. And, and the reason I love Mustang is Mustang is made by Mustang owners. So when you have like cigar enthusiasts, real cigar nerds, there's no, you know, just random marketing people that, that hop in our department. It's all hardcore cigar smokers. And I think that's something that, that gives our team a, a very unique perspective on what is cool and, and who is the consumer because we're always around consumers. I mean, you think about it, this is the one industry that if, if somebody doesn't like something you're doing, you're knowing right away. They're going to send you a DM and they say, hey, man, this, this cigar is tunneling all the time. I don't know what's up with it, but somebody's got to think, yeah, okay, I'm sorry about that. Well, hey, send an email over here and we'll replace the cigar. And, and that's, that's kind of how this industry is, which is a, it's a unique industry. And I was actually talking to a couple of my colleagues. I was like, yeah, we, we work our tails off. But guess what? We get to work late. We get to have a ton of fun. And this is a great life and lifestyle to be in while we do our work. You know, and sure. I think that's the beauty of cigars. Oh, I agree. You, um, Drew Estate, I think is a little different than what I've seen with a lot of companies too. Um, like a lot of, like there's different channels that you guys have to, uh, market into, right? So there's the retail segment. There's the meat, obviously the media segment. Um, and there's also the consumer segment. And it seems like the, I want to say Drew Estate balanced it out probably better. But there's definitely been an emphasis I've seen with Drew Estate on that consumer segment, particularly since you guys stopped going to the trade show for a while, that I've noticed now the products are being introduced into the consumer channel as the way to kind of do it through Freestyle Live or Barn Smokers, as opposed to doing them through trade shows or press releases. I mean, you still do some of that stuff is what I'm saying, but it seems like you guys have really put that emphasis the last few years on that consumer channel. 100%. I mean, we, we live by the ethos of, hey, it's a consumer first company. There's a lot of companies that, that talk about being consumer first. And, you know, it's a lot of lip service a lot of times, you know, yep. when we think consumer first. I mean, these consumers are a part of our lives. They add us on Facebook, they follow us, we follow them. And we learn all about what they're doing in their life. And, you know, that commitment to consumer means like, we want to give them the best cigar experiences in terms of smoking in terms of swag, in terms of the great events that we have. And when we think about the consumer, we're like, that's, that's who we're investing in. Right. That's because it shows them who we are at the end of the day. And what we want to do is deliver them fun stuff. You know, um, we looked at the barn smoker recently, and the number one thing that people love from barn smoker was just meeting people. Think about yeah. that. People yeah. that go to cigar lounges, they don't, most of them socialize. They want to be around other people and be part of a community. So when we have our Drew Estate community and, and, and they're rabid fans on, on Instagram, on our Facebook group, and in our events, I mean, you, you've seen a Drew Estate event. They're all different. You know, they're yeah. a lot different from the end of their manufacturer because it's our commitment to those consumers to make sure they're having the most fun, they're getting the most value for their dollar, and the smoking experience, you know, soup to nuts is just something that's different from everybody else. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I, I've seen a lot of these big events by retailers, the multi-vendor events, and... I think for a while they always worry that they have to keep people entertained, right? And, and it's certainly a Drew Estate Barn Smoker event, there's plenty to do, right? Yeah. But I think ultimately what what is the most important thing is it's not really, it's not like what I would say it's not rocket science. Give people a place to smoke and have some cigars available, and and people can be very happy doing that. And then the other stuff's just icing on the cake, is what I would say. Yeah, it's also connecting people. I mean, think yeah. about digitally, right? We we have an awesome field sales force. And they're, uh, most of them are on social media. And I remember I'd add five or six of them just being like, I don't know what they do. And I'd ask, <laughs> hey, where do you find Europe the Rat? You know, right when it launched yeah. in 2016. And they're like, oh, uh, that's in one place over there. I, I don't know anything else. But 
And, but, but, you know, our, our field force, you know, they, they're great people and, yeah. and shout out to all of them because they're also cigar nerds and, and they're dealing with our consumer and we get the feedback to hear, Hey, what does our consumer think? What do they care about when at these events? Yeah. You know, and, and I, I've had experience with the Drew state community in particular, and they're really kind. Um, I remember when Saka left Drew state, he gave me a few bundles of this legal provider number nine called the Pequeño. It was a size that was never released, but it was, I would say it's probably dirty radish almost size. Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite those Corona size, but it was, it was, but, and I actually reviewed it on my website. That's when I would review kind of the, that more unicorn stuff back then. And I started getting people, I started getting people like, Hey, I'll do anything to get some of these. Right. I ended up sending out probably about 15 of those cigars of various people. And, you know, like every one. And I said, you don't have to give me anything in return. And every one of them sent me something back. I was I was like completely blown away by it. That's the honor of the cigar community. Yeah, it was really I was really touched when that happened. Yeah, because it's just like our philosophy. Give more than you take. That's what cigars teach you. If if you really hang around cigar people and good hearted cigar people, that's that is what the cigar community will always teach you. And, And I think that's why you got all those cigars back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was and it was not junk. It was good stuff is what I'm saying. So uh, I was very appreciative to that. Yeah, because uh, I, I think about COVID, right? We had barn smoker and COVID hit and all these people paid for their tickets. And we're like, oh, yeah, we could just save the swag next year. We don't have to spend budget dollars on that. But we're like, no, we are committed to our consumer. Guess what? We will refund you everything and we will send you all this swag and, and enjoy. Uh, that, that is, I mean, I, I think people just don't understand how big a deal that is. Yeah, I mean, that is a big deal. I've seen because I've seen other things where events have been canceled. And I know like people, you know, were, some people were upset about it, but I mean, I mean, I don't know any other company that's done that. And I'm being I'm honest with that. That that was a big thing you guys did with, with that. Yeah, not not only that. I mean, I've recently learned a, a new philosophy in life. It's yeah. Honor before profit. You know, yeah. If you operate with more honor than profit, you will you will get the profit, you know, if- during the pandemic as well. You know, we sent retailers tons of promotional sweat because who knew some of these shops could have died. We literally, yeah. and then we're like, let's create virtual events. People are just sitting at home. They have nothing to do. And let's innovate and do something to, you know, every time we hire somebody new, especially in a big role, I always tell them like, hey, you are hired to, and you're enabled to enact change. We expect change. We want like efficiency. We want improvements and, and process improvements all the time, all the time. What I've seen on on events, and it's I followed you say maybe you saw this early on too, because you were a consumer, right? But when I remember Drew Estate events, Aaron, I don't know if you remember these days, but if, let's say 2012, 2013, the Drew Estate event was JD would go out to a store, like, and basically it would be a JD event, and yep. they get they get huge turnouts. People would drive hours to these things, but eventually JD just it was not possible for him to do all these events anymore. Mm-hmm. And you guys had to figure a way to pivot the events away from JD. And I think you guys found solutions to do that with a lot of the innovative things you did. I, that's a, I think that's a, cause I see a lot of companies get into that mode and they, they haven't been able to pivot. Drew estate has been able to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, JD is, is definitely somebody that has changed so many people's lives. And I, I think the his energy that he brings in, in all the years that he spent on the road, brand building and just, you know, genuinely caring about people. I mean, it, the amount of recall that he has when he meets consumers, he always remembers their face. He always, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm like, when was the last time you saw them? I don't know, four or five years ago. Yeah. It's just a normal <laughs> everyday thing. 
Um, but but you know, he's a genius. Yep. He thinks in a much different way. And I, I consider myself lucky because I work with him every day and, and I get a little sprinkle of that genius. And I'm like, well, you know, now I have the idea and I can get some stuff done. Um, but yep. but he's, he's the idea visionary, man. I mean, he's, he's the ideas man all the time. And he, and he loves a great debate. He loves to, to argue on the merits of, of different ideas. And, and that's the thing, you know, he, he listens, and, but he also has just a, a different way of viewing. And I'm like, how do I do that? And he was talking about a new concept and he was like, massively transformative purposes we need these things in our business and i'm like what book are you reading that from so he finally gave me a book i was like all right i'm gonna read the same book same language right and i'm excited i just got it in the mail today that's good that's good all right so on you you, you're doing a lot of this brand development brand strategy and i guess where i'll start with is right around the time you came in i'm assuming is when these 10th anniversary cigars were being planned out for 2018 which is uh, i'm smoking the h99 and of course there's the anniversario so take me through a little bit of that and how you kind of work through the strategy because obviously there were some unique tobaccos there were some challenges you were going to have with getting those products out because of the tobaccos uh what how did you kind of approach that yeah certainly you know we we, we started the project and you know willie would go down to the factory and he would come back with samples and you know, we didn't give him very much direction. The, 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 you know, Willie just has his own genius with flavor and, 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 and blending, you know. So a lot of times he'll just come up with some magic thing and you're like, whoa, what, what's this, man? And so we're like, hey, we're going to need a new Liga Pravada. And so he comes back with some samples and I think it was like an Ecuador Sumatra sample. Um, and a lot of us smoked it and, and we liked it. And we're, you know, we're starting to get some design work done and just thinking about, you know, what's the future of Liga look like with this? And I'm like, this is the coolest thing to me. And I'm getting to work on my favorite brand already right and, and bringing out the next level of it and i'm like <laughs> and I, but i didn't really think about it and have a right perspective about it because now you know five years later i look at that i was like that was actually a very big big moment <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I and i don't think i was prepared for it and i remember you know as we were smoking through the samples we're like i don't know what it is but we're just not like in love with it, it it's a great cigar but it, it, it's not the best cigar that, that we ever had and so we're just like it's average, as Aaron would say. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, when you read the room, you know, one of the powerful things about Jeru State is when you can get everybody to agree on something and get excited about it, we get right. a lot of stuff, whether you're in sales, whether you're marketing, supply chain, whatever it is. If we're excited, then we know we're on to something awesome. So seeing that we weren't excited about it, you know, in the middle of a, a big multi-department meeting, you know, I think our CEO asked Glenn, he's like, hey, what what wrapper are we going with this thing? And I was like, I don't think we're going to go with this Ecuador Sumatra. Because um, I remember, you know, earlier that week, our factory manager brought in this this new wrapper, right? So it was a different wrapper. So he had two different wrappers. And he's like, hey, get, you guys try this. And we're smoking it. And we're and and me and Joey and I think Joe Groh was in that room, too. We're all sitting there and we're like, ooh, man. Yeah. And, and I remember saying... I don't care whatever you put under this wrapper, but I think you can call it Liga Pravada, you know? And so, you know, we're like, I think that's where we're going to go with this thing. Um, You know, and and then, so we have this meeting and I go, Hey, we're going to go this other route. And, and then like, yeah, the next day I get a call from, from JD. And I think he, he was the maddest at me that I could ever remember. And he's like, (laughs) why would we go this other route? And, and, and I had to just say something, right? And I'm like, look, man, it wasn't just me. It was like the factory manager, the creative director, my boss. We, we all were like, we think we got to go this other route. This other tobacco, which comes from the same area, 
just has a much more distinctive flavor that we just, we just fell in love with, you know. And this was before we had tobacco analysis. Right. So, you know, when we, we finally found out how much tobacco we had of this, it was not a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, That's why and, it was so good. That's why it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I go like, well, well, how long will it take to, to go get more of it? And they're like, it, it's going to be, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years, two and a half year. And I'm like, well, okay, that, that's not good. And then the following year, I, I think the crop got, um, you know, something happened in the field and the crop died. So we went another year without having any. And it, it was a, a long and, and treacherous path to get to where we got to. And, and you know, guys, at that time, man, my, my mom was very sick, you know, mm -hmm. and that show, I, I didn't even make it to that show. So, you know, um, and, and when I think about it, I was like, at least in, in one of my darkest moments, you know, something good came out of it. And, and we released the Liga at 10 Anniversario as well as the H99. And, and I think like, you know, to this day, people love it. And, and that's that's what makes my job so enriching because it's like, you know, when you do your hard work, right, and you finally see the product on the shelf and, and you're watching the people smoke it and they're like, whoa. Like, dude, I was in I was in Casa Monte Cristo and it was like a group of 10 people. And and I literally heard this. And sorry, I'm going to be a little vulgar, but they, they were like, it's 99? Shit. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, that's what they said, man. And I'm like, yeah. you are what people say you are. I was like, I, I love it. You know, I love it. And both and both those cigars, they came out for Liga's 10th anniversary the same year. And you had the Corojo wrapper, you had the Criollo wrapper, both being grown in Connecticut, right? Yeah. What ultimately led to like the Corojo being the H99 and the Criollo being the anniversario? Was was there anything that went into that? How you guys kind of came to that conclusion? Yeah, you know, we we looked at it, and I think what you know, one thing is there was a little bit more tobacco availability on the H99. You know, when uh -huh. you think about, you get a a, a crop. There's a certain amount of wrapper yield that you're going to get out of there. Right. And, and even at the time, we didn't figure out, well, hey, what are we going to use with the lower wrapper grade? What are we going to use with the binder grade and the filler grade? But um, so, you know, we had a, low, a higher wrapper yield on the H99. Also, you know, it, it's, it's a hybrid. It's, it's a hybrid between our own T52 and, and Corojo. So for us, it was like, okay, the H is for hybrid, you know, right. and then the mm -hmm. 99 Corojo, Corojo 99. Um, with the anniversary, we're like, okay, let's. Let, well, we have less leaf of it, so let's put it in a ten count box right. versus the the H ninety nine and the twenty four. And so, mm -hmm. you know that, and it's still to this day very similar. You know, because of the wrapper yields that we get out from you know any year's crop, you know, it's 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 now getting pretty steady. And and we're get, you know we've made a lot of investments in the Connecticut River Valley. That's why five years later, you're now seeing it finally being on the shelf regularly, which has always been the long term vision. You know, we, it just. We didn't invent it to say and just make it limited edition and, and hard to get. And we have to literally lotto it out every month. We, we you know, we did it because we're like, we, we love this cigar. We want to share it with the world. Right. And, and we know the fans are because I remember the conversation I had with Willie while, while he was having some difficulty blending. He's like, he literally, he, he goes to our team. He's like, who is this cigar for? Is it for somebody to get a new Liga smoker? Or is this to, for the same Liga smoker, but right. they want like more? And we're like, more that's the yeah. it's the reward for the broad you know the broad leaf like addicts out there and 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 then willie's like i got you okay that that is the direction i totally needed and then when he came back with sample they were just deadly good you know yeah. and we were just like that's the conversation we needed to have 
And now me and him work very lockstep. I mean, like the other night he was just texting me while he's, you know, camping with his kids in Georgia to, to ask me about some projects or, hey, how should we do this sample? Or what should we do, be doing here? Um, so, you know, it, it's that partnership with Willie that really gets us uh, really far along because, you know, when I started the company, me and him didn't really work in parallel steps. So it's right. like sometimes he'd make a, a cigar and we're like, I don't know if that, that will pass our compliance standards, um, but, you know, let, let's let's make another cigar and make right. sure that, you know, we're, we're all on the same page. Sure, sure. So it, H99 now is a regular production cigar. It's two sizes in a regular production. Yep. You've done some limited. So, I mean, it seems like you guys took a, an organic approach to growing the line. You know, first you, you made sure you can release the one size. Uh, then you added some limiteds and added the Robusto. So it seems like you've taken an organic approach with the H99. Uh, I'd say the Aversario, that's a more scarce leaf is what you're telling me. So that's probably going to be a little more behind. I kind of get that. Yeah, and, and that's the reason like we, we've had more limiteds. You know, just like recently, we have the Super Ancho, which I've been so happy that, you know, I, I don't smoke a lot of 60 ring gauges, but when people come up to me and they're like, I don't smoke 60 ring gauges, but I love this cigar. I was like, <laughs> exactly, because that's the way we made it. We wanted to have a meteor 60 ring gauge cigar because a lot of them taste like, yeah. you know, they're very light, right? And then, like, we worked on, you know, one of my favorite cigars that I'm proud of is definitely Phineas Gage. Yep, I figured that. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I it, literally, the day it came into the office, we got samples, and I was like, we opened up that little red box, like, this is awesome. And then I smoked it, and I started yelling. I was like, we did it. We did it. We got an <laughs> awesome cigar that that is, like, outstanding, you know? And that's one of the rare times where I got so excited to just be like, hey, we did it, man. It, it, this is great, you know? I'm proud of you for loving the Super Ancho, by the way, because, you know, I'm the 60 ring guy. guy. You're the Lancero approved. I think when, when it got when it came out, I messaged on in our group. I said, Gordo approved. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, but no, it was it was really good. Now, Phineas Gage, it was so you kind of did Phineas Gage's last year's event cigar this year. It, it is the Super Ancho, right? What mm -hmm. are the plans for Phineas Gage? I'm just curious. Is that something that we'll see again? Is it a one and done? Yeah, we'll we'll see with the future. You know, um, right. like I said, we're running through that tobacco analysis every every year, mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes tobacco takes a little longer to ferment. You know, yeah. and we're always testing the tobacco, burning it, smoking it, just testing on how the tobacco forms. Right. And if the tobacco is not ready, we just have to wait a little bit longer. You know, and you know that was one of the actually the best things that happened during the pandemic was actually the connection between Miami and, and our factory. We were forced to work together because of the surge in demand. So it's yeah. like, well, the surge in demand, how do we get more efficient production and work with our factory team so that we can prioritize the stuff that we need? Because, you know, they'd send us a bunch of Cuba Cuba and cellophane and we're like, we need the box. The box is on back order, not the, the, <laughs> the single stick. Yeah. Like, oh, OK. And, and, you know, but now it's like, you know, the meeting used to be eight hours and now it's maybe four hours a month where we're, we are literally going line by line by every back order and and every cigar made just to double check, triple check, and also act as a check and balance of, hey, what are we prioritizing versus our, our back orders versus our labor capacity? And, and, and doing that, you know, what it helps us do is, is deliver for, the, for our trade partners and our consumers. You know, if you think about recently, we cut down, um, you know, and rationalized part of our portfolio, and we had to say goodbye to some of our favorite cigars, but that's to make room for, for the things that our consumers are craving. And that, that's why we made a lot of those decisions. I thought that was a position of strength, what you guys did with that, not weakness. I think that was a smart move. That's good business, what you guys did um, to do that. So I think that was definitely a position of strength because there's a point you just can't keep introducing new SKUs in. 
yeah, it's as much as it, you can't rollers. be sentimental about it. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, you know, a, a, a cigar roller at our factory yeah. has a certain amount of cigars they're going to be able to roll in a month. We want to maximize that. So when you have somebody make you something that's a slow mover, they may not maximize their production for the month. And that's, that's a real impact to people because I've been there on a Friday at the factory. You watch people stand in line. They turn in their, their they have a get they get a report that says, hey, there's how many cigars they made. And then they get paid, right? And if you ever impact people's pay because like right. they're not working in the most efficient manner, yeah. well, well, you know that's just not right. So we want right. to make sure that we can, you know, treat our people really well and fairly. Yep. And you know, I've seen it with companies before, um, where they do retire a line because for whatever reason, and then they've had success in bringing it back. I mean, I think the even though yeah, and the one that I'm thinking about recently is Espinosa Black was a great example. They, they retired it. It just wasn't at the time the right cigar, but they brought it back in a limited fashion a couple of years ago, and it, it moved very well for them. So sometimes the timing is everything of, with things, too. It's not necessarily anything wrong with the cigar or anything. It's just, you know, the market kind of has different feels um, with yeah, that. It's also the, the timing, the concepts. Um, yeah. yeah. Know, are we just doing repackaging versus the entire rebranding and repositioning? You know, what's the story we're going to tell about the cigar? And, and so, yeah, I mean, you think about we just did Nicarustica. And Nicarustica, you know, has come back in fiercely and people love that cigar, you know, six buck chuck. Um, but, you know, that, that's a challenging cigar to make because it requires tons of volume. You know, volume is, is, you know, low margin at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing I'll say is I think this line doesn't get talked a lot about. Uh, the factory, when you guys did the factory smokes, and I think that came out the same year as the, the Liga, the Liga H99. I'm, yeah, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But that was a big move for Drew State to kind of get into that space. There's a huge opportunity you guys had to capitalize on the market because you had all this leftover tobacco and, you know, you, you were able to make use of it for a market segment that is is out there for people. Yeah, you know, I, I remember at the time, too, you know, um, I know J.D. was definitely deeply you know, wanting to go do that. And, and I was the, the last person to want to do it. I was scared that. <laughs> sure. Hey, I get that. Do- I get that too. We, we all looked at it like, yeah, why are they doing this kind of, but yeah, but there, I think there was good reasons why you did it. Yeah. Cause, cause we do have a lot of tobacco as, as we go through our production. So I was worried that like, you know, our brand equity would go down. People would look at the company. Now we make the cheap stuff. Right. Mm. But if you come out with the idea, Hey, we're going to make the best like $2 cigar on the planet. Well, then, yeah, we're going to get, you know, and, and have a different cigar than, than versus everybody else where their cigar tastes like paper, right? Or, or they, yeah. they don't, you know, use good ingredients in the tobacco and or they don't really care about the consumer and the smoking experience, right? So when you go up there with that idea, hey, not only that, we're going to put 25 cigars and price them as low as 20 cigars. You know, and, and that's a great proposition for the consumer. Because like I said, we're consumer first, thinking about the consumer, sure. that person that's going to buy that cigar constantly. And what are they thinking? What are they buying? And, and how do they look at our products and, and learn from our, you know, and that's a project that, that was a partnership between so many different partners, you know, as, as well as retailers. We had to learn, hey, what are the, math, what are the margins that you require to, to have a successful bundle project? Um, and then talking to our factory manager and, and he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put extra tobacco in the head of the cigar because people chew on it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's amazing. Right. <laughs> that's you can actually chew on a factory smoke more because there's extra tobacco, right? So, you know, it's it's a multi. It, you know, when you make cigars, it, it's not one person that can take. Maybe if it's a really small company, right? But when you get larger, it's like it's a team and it's a big team of people that that cut across. You know, I, I've got a project manager in Nicaragua, Henry, 
and our Nicaraguan team from Rubio, Carla, who does our packaging, Yesene, who does, who's the blend manager. There's so many people at the factory that help support the business and move the business forward. Then you think in Miami, hey, there's the marketing department and, and then there's the sales department. And we work really closely together. It's a great balance because a lot of companies, you know, sales, 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 and your brand equity goes down. Or other companies, it's a lot of brand equity and there's not a lot of sales. So we try to take a very balanced approach. And that comes from our leadership team, you know, really, to, you know, saying, hey, we got to make sure that we keep true to the consumer and what we care about, which is consumer first. And, and, and that's a big part of, of, of how we look at the consumer in our business. Sure. So let me yeah. ask this ahead, one, one quick thing. Uh, going back to the factory smokes piece is that I think a lot of people get get lost in kind of what they see around them and about what cigars people are smoking. You know, the, on social media, especially that you know they see what's kind of new and all that stuff that's out there. But the those lower price cigars are are, are a huge volume uh, that people smoke, um, and something that I'll, it's always at the forefront of my mind because I, I did a factory smokes review in 2018. Right. And I'm always checking our analytics on YouTube and stuff like that, seeing what people watch. The Factory Smokes review from 2018 is constantly in our top 10 most viewed videos. So still five years later, it's still a top 10 video. Like every every week, it's still in the top 10. And people yeah. want to see or hear about that cigar. So there is a ton of there's a huge audience for those cigars. And people I think people don't realize that that you know people can't afford to buy $12 cigars to smoke two or three a day right if they if they're a constant smoker and those fit that bill and there's a huge volume there for those types of cigars 100% i mean when you think about that consumer too right i mean we 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 talked to a lot of the big web catalog companies and they're like you wouldn't believe how many people write reviews about this product they, yeah, they yeah. everyone's yeah. like why are people just so excited to talk about a $2 <laughs> cigar well, maybe because we did what we wanted to do and, and we, we did what we aimed for, was to try to make the best $2 cigar that we could make, right? And it resonated with the consumers. And I remember we had some advertising where like for the cheap, you know, penny pinching um, tight watts, you know, out there, that's, that's what we said. And I think the consumers are like, yeah, that's me. And I want to smoke my, my $2 cigar. And, and then they post it on social media. You know, what people do you see posting like that, that type of product? So there's a huge consumer benefit, you know? Yeah, and you know, on it was interesting again about this this line factory smokes is I you know I get you get people all the time ask you about buying like what cigar should they buy for someone, and one of my mom's friends, her husband was turning seventy five and calls me up. I hadn't heard from this woman for like years, and like uh, hey, you know, I know you do cigar stuff. Um, I want to get something really nice for my husband for uh his um, you know, for what he um. You know, his 75th birthday, and I know there's more expensive cigars out there. So I said, what does he smoke? Oh, he's smoking this thing called Factory Smokes, right? And I said, do you remember which uh, color wrapper he's smoking? He's like, the, he go, it's the lightest one, right? So I said, <laughs> get him get him the Undercrown Shade Suprema. Like that was the – it said it's a nice five-count uh, thing. And it was a perfect way to kind of, you know, get him something a little more, you know, premium. And, re- and he really enjoyed it. So uh, – and he's actually become a shade smoker on top of that now. So it's kind of interesting on it. So, you know, it, it is a nice gateway, and then people do – they want to upgrade at times. So I think it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. We, we're always trying to market to our consumer and reach our consumer, right? You think about, okay, you start – you know, how many consumers out there started smoking acid? And everyone's like, I used to smoke that stuff, but, and, and, but you know, that's where so many people started smoking. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, I remember my first Drew estate cigar. Right. And then 
I heard there was a Drew Estate event. Guess what? It, Willie Herrera rolls into town and, and he's rolling cigars in the store. I'm like, this is crazy, man. And yep. I got a video of me rolling with him and that's from 10 years ago. And I'm like, that is the craziest thing. But I was like, that's the circuit. So when yep. you start smoking it and seeing people smoking all the, the Drew Estate stuff, right? It's like, and they're smoking all types. Some people are smoking acid. Some people yep. are smoking tobacco special. Some people are smoking Liga Underground. You're like, but they love Drew Estate. They love the vibe of all the people that get together for the event. And, and that's what we try to like, you know, foster and engender a great atmosphere so people can learn geek out and teach each other about cigars that's the thing you know i remember yes. during the virtual event periods there were people showing up for the first time never had smoked any and they're just like i'm trying to learn cigars or I, i've only smoked like 10 cigars it's like wow man you are in for a wild ride you know and get them excited about versus like only 10 cigars get out of here you don't belong here every cigars are for everybody it's not about the suit and tie and that's what attracted me to cigars it, it was equal people were equal at a cigar lounge no, that's very true. That's very true. And you know, like what Aaron and I do, uh, you know, we review stuff. I think we both learn along the way and we look at it as when we, when, yeah, we write a review, I think, but we learn in the process with that too. So it's, yeah. uh, you're always in a learn mode is what I'll say. It, it's your guys' responsibility as the media to, to learn about it, tell the stories and, and propagate the message of what these cigars are. And, and it's like this, this, like part of, of being cigar nerds. Like there's yeah. nobody smoking more cigars than you guys. Maybe yeah. I do because I'm constantly doing product research and right. almost like any cigar shop I go to, I'm like, I haven't smoked this and I just accumulate a giant Ziploc bag full of cigars. Yeah. But, and you know how many bads, I wouldn't say bad, but just like, meat, you know, they all taste very similar to this and it's yeah. not that pleasant. And you're just like, man, you got to write a review about it, right? Where I'm like, yeah. man, I got to smoke another $7. Oh man, this is rough times, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hit on a couple of the other brands. I know, we went, but uh, let me talk. Look, well, since we're talking about anniversary, let's talk about the Undercrown Ten, right? A couple of things I just wanted to get your opinion on with that uh, great cigar, unique packaging. I got to say that's some of the most unique packing. But you guys were going for something different with Undercrown Ten as opposed to the regular Undercrown line, so it was tasked to be a more premium cigar, correct? One hundred percent. I mean, it. But but at the end too, it it kept true to where its origin. Right. Born on the factory floor. So when we think about that, you know, I, I remember I was down there with Willie and, and our, our brand team and, and, you know, the factory people, they bring out the cigars and they're like, this was saved for something special. And we, we don't know what it is. And I smoked out. That's, that's called Undercrown 10. And this tastes luxurious, man. It's rich and right. it's spicy and it's just in your face. I was like, this reminds me a lot about Liga. It's just like punchy, you know? So yeah, we, we were like, you know, this, this, this cigar merits a higher price because it's just, it's designed for that. Yeah. You know, we put the best things that we could find because it's like, you know, it's an anniversary. So it's got to be celebratory. We've got to make it special and you can't just make it special with packaging. It's got to have tobacco behind it to make it truly, genuinely authentic and real and great. And that's what we're striving to do all the time. You know, just trying yeah. to get things that we genuinely enjoy and believe that other people will too. And that ribbon, just that little ribbon that you put uh, kind of over the cap. Um, yeah. obviously, that was, it's just a little touch like that. I think it just really is a signature on that packaging there. Definitely John's idea. And, uh, you know, our, our consumers actually call it the thong, right? So it's a thong. <laughs> well tell. And it's hilarious. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I love our consumers. They, they, yeah. We have our own jargon, our own language, yeah. you know, yeah. like yeah. smoking safari style, you know, smoking it backwards. 
yep. all sorts of great stuff. Yep. And then you have a you have a new brand that we see behind Aaron. Um, and we talked about it, like when we were doing our intro at the beginning, uh, Black and M eighty one. That's a very different project that you guys probably tackle because you know you had this you had this celebrity angle going into this. So I'm sure that affected a lot of the decisions you made with that branding as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you you got to take a lot measured approach. Uh, things take a lot more time to get approvals because because you think about you know Metallica, they're they're busy. Like right now, they're about to go on tour, so they're going to yep. be on tour for about two years. There's not a lot of downtime to really you know work on the cigar piece of it, and and you got to catch them at the right time. But you know this partnership has been amazing. I, I it's far exceeded what we um, ever thought it would do in terms of. You know, hey, we set out a sales forecast, right? And it just goes far beyond even our most aggressive sales forecast. So the success of Blackened, I think, is from the excitement for the consumers and, and the, re- you know, when the retailers back it up too, you know, it's, it's still back ordered after it launched. So we're still working on it, constantly getting it out there so that people can enjoy the cigar. Um, because I think we put a lot of work into it. And, and, you know, when you have a lot of these collaborations, it's not about the tobacco. It's just about, some some person's name and and just using their their star and their glitz and their glamour. Yep. When we you know and, and that's the genius of JD. He's like, no, this thing's got to be Maduro to the core, and <laughs> and that's what guides the tobacco, and that's what made us like make a blend like that. And, and right. it's triple Maduro, right? It's like Maduro wrapper binder and, and fillers. On um, you know, one thing I'll say is this is so it's not a knock here, but I'll, I'll just kind of but, but I think that maybe. I'm kind of curious if that played into the decision to go Maduro to the core. Like Drew State, it has a lot of successful Maduro cigars. I mean, you have the Liga Nine, you have uh, Undercrown Ten, Core Undercrown, of course the uh, Nortenos. You guys do a lot of Maduros. So how do you kind of like move a consumer to another Maduro without like hurting one of the other lines? Is I'm sure those are th- decisions you make when you guys are coming up with these projects and blends that you don't obviously you don't want to bastardize the base you've built in some of these other ones. Oh yeah. There, there's constantly thinking about, you know, Hey, you know, what happens when you pull out a Herrera Brazilian Maduro? Is that going to cannibalize your underground sales? Yeah. Or Hey, factory smokes Maduro. Does underground sales start to suffer because right. now you made a cheap, cheap, cheap version or people right. think it's an underground second or something like that. So yeah, we're constantly thinking about how, you know, to position our, our, our cigars, you know, and that's, that's a lot in the storytelling and, and, the messaging behind the cigars. You know, like I said, we try to think about who is the cigar for, and, and we try to target where, where they live and, and speak to them at where they live. And you know, sometimes it's like, hey, there's going to be cigars in different channels and for different people. So you, you know, that's why some brands are only online um, versus others and, and keeping that separation between the different brands. But you know, we have consumers that smoke everything. You know, actually, most acid smokers are also smoking traditional cigars. So it, it runs all across. You know, that's why we, we're proud to have the breadth of our portfolio, because it runs through not just price points, but but also different flavor profiles from your, your infused products to, to non-traditional as well as traditional. So it's like a lot of different types of cigars for a lot of different types of consumers. And we try to really make, you know, uh, brands that resonate with all of the consumers, depending on where they live. Right. Sure. Another another brand I wanted to kind of talk about as well is the Twenty Acre Farm. So, what one thing I think that Drew State didn't have before Twenty Acre Farm is, you know, that there's companies out there that when they have a very luxurious or more premium shade cigar, it's with a white label. 
And we see yeah. a lot of companies kind of do that, right? Um, and they'll put out this white label as a very premium. But you guys didn't have that offering, but there's definitely a market. But you guys went in a completely different direction to kind of, and maybe you're going to tell me, no, that's not what this was meant to compete with, right? But I, I kind of saw it as, okay, they have this shade-grown cigar now that's a, a lot more ultra-premium than maybe the uh, the underground shade. Is that what you guys were thinking? You guys just wanted to think out of the box to do something different with that? Yeah. Also, when you have a very unique tobacco, and, and you know, Jeff Borshawitz's farm grows Florida Sungrown, the first tobacco premium tobacco grown for premium cigars since 19, the 1970s, right? And it has a very distinct taste. I don't know if you guys can taste it. I'm sure you guys can. Yeah. But you know, you know, and I remember the first, you know, uh, year or so, you know, Willie was struggling with that tobacco. The first time I met him was on Safari as a consumer. And he's like, we have this tobacco. I don't know what to do with it. You know, we're still working, experimenting with it. And then as, as the years came through, the tobacco got better and better and sweeter and sweeter. And actually, if you smoke an unfermented, um, you know, Florida sun-grown tobacco, it, it's very sweet, Corojo. And, right. and it's very pleasant. Um, so as you ferment that tobacco, it, it's also very distinct and it's very good because it, it, it grows in weather conditions that, that's unlike others, right? It's not grown in Cuba. It's not grown in Nicaragua, Honduras, or, or Dominican Republic or many of the other countries. It's grown in the United States, in, in, in central Florida, where it gets to 100 degrees. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, that's why it's different. And so for us, it's, it wasn't about just making a shade cigar. It was also about a shade cigar that's just different because that tobacco is special. Right. And, and you can taste the tobacco. You know, many times you, you'll see so many manufacturers come out with expensive cigars. There's nothing to back it up on the tobacco side. And, and when you think about the consumer smoking experience, how do you convince somebody to go smoke that again and again and again? And that's the goal. You know, the first sale is the is the easiest one. It's about getting uh, uh, your core lines together and people coming back to the brand again and again. That's how you grow a sustainable business versus everything's limited edition and you're just trying to beat the limited edition of last year. It's a hard game to play. It's not sustainable. No, agree. And you guys have definitely done a very good job. I mean, I remember when Liga first came out, right. That was intended to be like kind of, I mean, I guess I'm going to just use the comparison. It was kind of like how Opus X was going to be a more limited distribution, not as many made. And then you guys had to start building core lines around that and, you know, tar targeting. Different. I think you guys did a very good job with that. Yeah, you know, I, I followed the footsteps of the, its original design. You know, um, you know, first there was Liga Nine, and then came Papa Frita, right? And so as we've accumulated some some of the lower grade wrappers of, of that H ninety nine crop, you know, we were smoking we're like this is smoking fantastic. This will make great cigars. We're like, let's make a Papa Frita out of it, and that's where that was born because we, we saw an opportunity and we finally had the tobacco, and that's why we've been able to take you know get it out there for people. And we actually, I want to mention one more too. Uh, acid. I mean, are you involved with the acid piece as well, as far as yeah brand management as well? So, I mean, you guys did some big things with acid a, a few years ago. Acid had the twentieth anniversary. Um, I mean, you have the acid twenty. I mean, I remember that was you guys had it at the trade show in eighteen or nineteen. It was. Um, and then I remember you had the whole New York theme around that. You kind of got back to the roots with that, but you had, but the acid 20, it, it was kind of a, you guys went a little bit different as well to kind of introduce that line. It was different than the other acids with the acid 20. Yeah, certainly, you know, designing it for, for a more traditional palette. You know, that's yeah. why we use, you know, Mexican San Andreas. So it had a little bit more spice and, and body to it. Um, so yeah, when we're developing the products, but, you know, a lot of the flavor comes from the infusion, but they still have really premium tobaccos behind it. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of people, they don't, they don't even touch the infused category. 
but you know, it's a nice change of pace. It's a great breakfast cigar. You know, they're not designed to have a lot of spice in them. You know, uh, a lot of smokers, they don't want the spice. They don't want heavy flavors. They want the lighter. And so when you're smoking acid and, and you know, it's the biggest brand in America, right? So, I mean, it, it just, it's a testament to our consumers and our retailers that support it. Cause you, you know, you could go almost anywhere and you'll find acid um, even where, where the cigars might not be premium, right? Because it's like people ask for it everywhere. And when I go to a cigar shop and I don't see acid, I'm like, this is a strange business, but I, I can respect them. You know, you buy from people you like, so maybe they don't like us. I don't know. Right. The, was the goal of that 20th, though, to, to bring the traditional smoker to acid? Or yeah, just yeah, more with that? Try it, right? Try yeah. it. And, and, you know, like I said, research shows that, uh, you know, our consumers smoke uh, a lot of different types of cigars and they run through our portfolio left and right, including through traditional as well infused cigars. No, I, I remember um, at the trade show, it seemed like that that was the approach because I remember um, Joe Grow handed me uh, an undercrown um, dogma, right? And then I, you know, you go around to the booth and then they, I went to Fabian, who was doing the booth at the time for acid. And he takes my dogma and he like chucks it <laughs> the 20th. He's like, I need you to smoke this now. Like, he was like, <laughs> but I, I, I could tell what he was trying to do. He was trying to see. But I actually was, I actually have smoked acids and enjoy acids. So it wasn't like as big a, a hurdle for me, but I could see other people, you know, maybe he didn't know that more than acid smokers to try to do that. And he did replace my dogma in fairness. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, but oh, so on, and again, I have one more brand. I'm sorry here, uh, but I gotta say the most, so, okay. You want to know the most reviewed cigar on Coop is on my end is Deadwood. Really? The Deadwood Sweet Jane. Most yeah. read review in the history of Cigar Coop. Did you guys ever expect when you took that brand what was going to happen with it? And why do you think that brand exploded the way it did? Because it's not just me. I hear, I hear, I've heard you guys say how successful this brand is. So it, it kind of resonates on my website like that, but I know it's a wildly successful brand. Yeah, you know, it, it's got extremely unique tobaccos in there, you know, yeah. so it, there's nothing really like it on the market, yeah. right? So you think about, you know, vision and, and trying to enter blue ocean space and trying to just put something out there that hasn't been done for it. Also think about Kentucky Fire Cure. There's really not a lot of cigars like that. But so when you use some of the pipe tobacco as well as the sweet tip and Maduro and you smoke these cigars, uh, you know, and they're, they're approachable. For yeah. a lot of people that are not experienced in cigars, or hey, you just want to smoke a sweet tip cigar and, and have your gordito. There's different sizes of it, and and of course the branding of it. The branding of it is what resonates yeah. with so many different people. Where like, you know, one of the things we always want our consumer to feel is like, this is my brand. I you know I own a piece of it. That's why we have all this swag where where we put the brands on there and people can have a piece of it, like in their pocket, in in their Instagram, in their car every day. And so when you think about Deadwood, I, I mean, it's like yeah. three sugar skull, you know, females that, that look deadly, right? And it resonates with people and, and it makes them feel like that, that's my cigar, you know, like that's, that's, that's what they, they're about. And even like, you know, my cousin's husband, he doesn't smoke a lot of cigars. He only smokes one type of cigar, Deadwood. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty affordable price, reasonable price too on it, um, which makes it, but you're right. There's great tobacco in that. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoyed that as well. Um those cigars so I'm, i remember my wife's reaction when you get the line extension she's like yummy bitches and then i showed her the numbers i'm like i showed her the numbers on my website i'm like oh okay she's like, well, i guess yeah. it works i'm like yeah so that's good all right uh 
Aaron, anything else we want to hit as far as brands go? Or on, is there any brand you wanted to talk about that maybe we didn't mention? Because I know there's a, we've got a lot of brands. Yeah, we, we have a lot of brands. And like I said, when it's like every year, we're planning the, the business plans for all these various brands, you know, and, and, and working with a lot of different people to make sure we can move our brands forward. So, you know, stay on the lookout. I'm sure there's going to be some cool stuff coming out next year that, that you know, uh, people are going to get excited about. Because like I said, we are excited about what we work on and we want other people when we launch them to also be super excited. And that's, that ends up happening because it's genuinely what we believe in. Yep. Yep. All right. No, I'm excited. So before we kind of move on to some other stuff with on, uh, we have a contest tonight. Um, and I want to thank, um, I want to thank on and Tom for providing this to us. Uh, we are, I'm going to show, I'll put it up on the screen here and then I'll tell you guys how you can enter. Uh, Cause you guys are going to get a first shot at this. On's got a live, so he can show it just uh, Oh, you got a live? For you. Oh, yeah. Okay, even better. That's why I don't have to fumble with this. So. It is a custom-painted uh, travel humidor. Huge, like, 40-count travel humidor. Maybe it's 30-count, but either yeah. way, it's a large humidor, custom-painted from Subculture Studios. And, and that's an art studio with, like, 20 people in there just, just getting their painting on and, and really skilled people. And a lot of times, we're treating these people to, to paint. So it's a great travel humidor, and someone's going to get really lucky out there. So, hey, man, good luck, folks. One of the funnest things at Cigar Safari is getting your what, what you guys do at Subculture Studio for the attendees uh, was was always great. Um, so uh, I remember I forgot my my I had a travel humidor done there and I forgot one and someone else had an extra one they gave me which was great. So uh, yeah, and then there was a, there would always be somebody that brought like ten items, right? They're like, yeah. I need six of these, and, and this one's for charity, and right. I guess, yeah. okay, I guess, right? Exactly. All right, so to enter the contest, and it's going to go up on the website also tomorrow, so you can enter both ways, okay? You can enter tonight. Only tonight, the live people are going to get to enter. Once the show's over, I'm closing this part. And then you can enter again on the website tomorrow. I have two chances to win, and I'll pick one at random. In the comments, tell me your favorite Drew Estate brand and hashtag it, because I know our audience loves hashtags, but I need a hashtag here. Hashtag D-E-4-L. D-E for life. D-E-F-4-L. You have to do that hashtag right because that's how I'm going to pick up your entry. If you do it wrong, you're out. But my advice is tomorrow when this goes back on the website, I'm going to give an, I'm going to give the audience another shot to win this. Um, you can enter on there and you can leave. A, it's going to be leaving a comment. So you won't have to do the hashtag. So if you're if you're scared of the hashtag, you don't have to do it tonight. But I'd encourage you to try the hashtag. Hashtag D-E-4-L. D-E for life. Your favorite Drew Estate brand. And hopefully it's one of the ones we talked about with on tonight, which is pretty much all the ones he's involved with. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, we have a couple of fun questions we're going to do uh, in the next couple of segments. But to wrap up this before we go to like our, 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 our break, um, this is our Tobacco Lawyer USA, uh, the Ties That Bind segment, uh, sponsored by Tobacco USA, makers of iconic brands like Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco USA, great things are happening here. So on the ties that bind, okay, is a song by Bruce Springsteen, right? But I kind of tied it in with this, um, where I'm gonna name three things, and I, I I give Aaron a shot at this too. He doesn't know the answer for uh, when I'm doing this, and you just gotta tell me all three things have in common. Yeah. Okay. okay so I'm gonna Fair give enough. you one hint, okay, with this. I'm gonna name three TV shows. So you can't say TV show; they're all TV shows. Like there's something more about this, okay? And I'll give you guys some hints as well. So the three TV shows are Married with Children, Family Matters, which people call the Steve Urkel show, and ER. 
what do all three of those shows have in common? They're based in Chicago. Man, yeah. that was too easy. <laughs> I was too easy. I listened, See, I didn't I know what you're teaching. You'd be surprised. I give answers like that, and they don't know. Yeah, it, they were all based in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Good one. <laughs> See, I didn't know where ER took place, but when I saw the other two, I was like, I'm assuming ER takes place in Chicago. Yeah. So Yeah, and Family I, Matters, you know where the house is. You know, when you grow up in Chicago, it's like in a rich neighborhood. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I had to throw a third. There was a, The third one was a little tougher to throw in. I think the two that I knew were married with children and uh, the um, Family Matters, where they have those iconic scenes of Chicago. Um, yeah, I, I thought about throwing good times in was the other show I was gonna. Throw oh, that would have got me, man. Yeah. I would have been like, oh, oh, really? That would have got you, okay? Because I thought ER was tougher, actually. Yeah, because good times are before my time. See, so I know, I know with so good times. I mean, I remember where those the projects that they lived in with the Cabrini projects, uh, in, on uh, the south side. I remember when those were still up. I think they've taken it all down now. Oh, it, it's all gone now. It's yeah, yeah. Gentrified for, for sure. And, they, you know, there's some public housing still by there because they zone it in. But, yeah, that that used to be one of the most dangerous neighborhoods. I, I remember I used to sell insurance for a living. So I would go in the projects at night in a suit and I'd walk <laughs> past the, 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 the gate where the, the gate attendant's supposed to be. And it's just riddled with bullets. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. this is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about Saturday Night Fever because it was filmed in where I grew up. But actually, the, the one I would say that's even more accurate where I grew up, if you want to see this places I knew, was Welcome Back, Cotter at the beginning and the end of the show. All those were places I could drive there I, and tell you that's where it is or that's where it was kind of. Um, that's how, how much I knew that. But, yeah, it's, in, it's interesting when, you're, when something's in your backyard and you know it uh, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, I lived in Chicago, you know, almost my life unless, uh, until 2017. So actually, last month I was there for about a month. And I was like, that, I told my dad, I was like, this is the longest I've been home in like seven yeah. years. man." Yeah, I missed you. I missed you when we, in my, when I was in Miami because um, we usually always kind of uh, try to get together for uh, far and, um, you know, Caribbean, of course. So we'll, we'll yeah. get to talk about far in a minute. So we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> But before we go to break, I got one more question for you on. This is our cattle baron steak question of the night. So this is related to steak. Okay. And you're a foodie. You know the best restaurants. I want to know your the steakhouse to go to on because if there's a restaurant, you're I think you're at the top of the list who I'm going to take a restaurant recommendation to. There's no doubt I go on is on's the first round pick for me to pick the restaurant. So I want to know the steakhouse here. Steakhouse in my well, it, it's got to be coats. You it, know, that that is or anywhere it doesn't have to or be anywhere. Miami it could be only. anywhere you want. Yeah, it could be anywhere you want yeah. in the world. No, in Miami, it, it's a really great because it's a Korean steakhouse concept from New York. It's got one Michelin star. At least for here, it's, it's, it's I really enjoy it because it got a bunch of dry aged steaks, and then you have a butcher's feast. So it, it's like that's cuts of wagyu, cuts of aged, and it's just like all, and then they have steak and eggs. So their steak and eggs is like. Tatar oh. and caviar. You got like, coops. Already no, but a caviar. I'm toning you out. The one egg I'll eat. Caviar is the one egg. Yeah, I'll the eat. eggs. No, you're not going to the eggs. Yeah, but caviar. I'll go caviar. I'm fine with caviar. <laughs> so that's their steak and eggs, and then they just got badass cocktails, and that's you know the, yeah. the atmosphere and the service. To me, it's a lot about the service, and if the yeah. service is on point, I'm having a great time. I'm like that's that's also what I enjoy about the dining experience. But yeah, yeah when you got all those crazy cuts of meat on just like a giant man, it's just. Yeah, it's good eating, and you just walk out like, oof. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, And then I was impressed because Anna and I were just talking. He didn't know I was going to ask this question, but I, last night, Anna, I was so impressed that you knew 
the best Korean food was in Flushing. I was really <laughs> impressed with you last night. I'm like, he knows his food, man, because a lot of people will go into the, um, you know, the Korean neighborhood in Manhattan, uh, the little Korean area where and it's great restaurants, but Flushing is the place to go. That's that's absolutely where you have to go. So I was like, he knows. Yeah, one of the most amazing things about cigar people, too, is like, you know, you ask any of the guys that, that, that travel around the country, right? You know, national sales guys, whatever, they always know where the best food is. You can yeah. ask them any city. And they're like, no, check out this place is open and it has a really good this and that. And you're like, how yeah. do you? And then you go there and, it, and it's the truth. Yeah. And it's just that's, you know, cigar it's, people love flavor. And I think yeah. that's that's why it's like, you know, it, the food, eating the bourbon, yeah. all these things go hand in hand all the time. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. So on the next two segments are not as long. So uh, this was the longest segment, just, you know, uh, but let, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a couple of commercial reads and then we'll get into the second segment here. Sound good? Yeah. All right. First, I want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age of Cigars of Cuba, the leaf of choice makes some of the world's greatest cigars. Of course, there were one of the challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. In 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Holiness and Husso bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the Aladino Classic, which is uh, now available in a Lancero format. Um, all represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take pride in the fact that they're cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Padron, Aganor Salif, and Drew Estate. Corona Cigar has the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount prices. Don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine said that Corona Cigar Company is best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retail by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Fortunato wrote Corona Cigar Company, the largest best stock cigar shops in America. Place an order online at www.coronacigar.com or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And I want to mention again our friends at Cavalier Geneve. Uh, Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold, and Stay Gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore Cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. Again, Geneve, D-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist. Join that movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently honored highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by the cigar industry press. Again, follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore Cigars because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold, and Stay Gold. And we're going to get into an Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com. Find out more about their cigars. Live true. So, on, um, we started on food. We're going to talk a little more about you as a foodie right now. Um, and I want to talk about two areas of you liking food. All right. So, I want, so first of all, you are definitely the home chef that I know. I mean, um, especially during the pandemic, I saw all the things that you were making. And this is like top quality stuff, top ingredients here. 
Um, what are some of the things as a home chef? What are your favorite things to kind of make? Uh, chicken wings, man. Like uh, I'm a yeah. Chicken, I just love grilling wings, uh, making a nice wing sauce. That I love making pot thai, and I love making pizza. I've been making a lot of pizza of late, and you know, making the Chicago style, not the deep dish pizza, but the the tavern crust pizza, which is a, a lesser known type of pizza, which is cracker crust thin, very and, thin, and, yeah. yeah, super thin. So it's crispy, and that's why it's like you know, when I eat pizza, I like the crunch in the pizza. Yeah. Sure. Are you? Is, is the tavern thing something that's popular in Chicago as well that people may not know about? Is that something that's a Chicago kind of thing, like the deep dish? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, it came from traditionally uh, bars that, that didn't have a big industrial kitchen and commercial kitchen. It'd be a bar that had like a little, you know, little toaster oven, basically, and they'd throw these pizzas on there. And that, that's where it's called tavern press because that's where you would get them in, in bars. And so, you know, I think there's a famous guy now that he's been um, – kind of trying to spread that out where the the guy from like um serious eats like went to learn from him for like a couple of weeks to, to make tavern crust pizza so i think it's you know definitely something that chicagoans all know that that's their t- favorite type of pizza yeah there's deep dish pizza and, and that's out there too but most people actually eat the tavern crust more than anything else um in chicago i remember when i first like really like i thought i knew pizza growing up where i did but and i thought i knew what chicago pizza was right I didn't know what Chicago deep dish pizza was till I went to Gino's East <laughs> and discovered it's a different animal completely with that crust. So, I mean, I just did not know that. It's uh, heavy eating. I mean, like I remember I had some friends in California come in and I was, you know, I ate maybe two slices and, and I always go, you know, if you eat three, you're going to be really full. If you eat four slices, you're probably going to get sick. It's just so heavy. So I, I couldn't go more than two. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> So, yeah, my friends, I think one guy ate five, and, yeah, he got slowed down real quick. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was taken there the first time to Gino's East, and I'm like, they're like, how much time do you have? And I said, well, it's pizza. We should be, you know, I have an hour. They said, no, 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 no. They said, that's not, <laughs> this is not how that works. Because they make these to order, and uh, it's a process. <laughs> you have three hours. I'm like, yeah. So and it was it was a I kind of totally got it when I saw it with that it has that cornmeal crust which was very I mean it's just nothing like it yeah great crunch on there yeah, and just yeah. unctuousness from the cheese it's and acidity from the tomatoes right yep. so it's, it's a it's a nice snack man I mean every time I come I'm like I gotta get that for sure and sometimes I order the frozen ones and, and try to cook them here because if I try to order from the one uh, it's called Manhattan and Chicago Pizza in in Kendall. And they, they, they deliver you the pizza with no sauce on The sauce is on the side. I was like, this is crazy, man. And they use, like, a low-quality cheese. And I was like, if this is what the representation of this pizza is, no one would fucking, you know, eat this thing because it's just not yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with the Brooklyn-style pizza, which is a, it's a thin crust, but it's not a, like, that type of tavern crust. It's a softer, thin crust. Um, large slices is what it is. Fold uh, it. Yeah, people fold the pizza. You fold, yeah, the subway. It's called the subway. They call it the subway for they fold it right. Uh, yeah, where in Chicago you square cut all the pizzas. You know that's yeah. how you do it. Yeah, and then we there was a version called Sicilian pizza, but it's not. It's a thick crust that's square, but it's not a Chicago deep. Di- I would not even categorize it anything near deep. It's good. It's good. Some people call it grandma pizza, but it's uh we called it Sicilian pizza growing up. Yeah, it sounds so much like Detroit style pizza, except Detroit they'll put the sauce on the top. Yeah, yep, yep, exactly, exactly. But I know it kind of moved away from some of the restaurants. 
So another thing, on I mean, I know you're a big fan of his foe. You you know all the best places to go, but you make it at home as well, right? Oh yeah, you know you can use a lot of different types of meat, whether that's brisket, eye rounds, and that, those are usually my favorite. Sometimes you use the flank, and yeah, it takes a while to work with the bone broth, but you know there, there's a lot of good ingredients and, and flavors to, to. But it takes time, you know. That's not something. I mean, if you make a chicken pho, then that can be very quick. But if you make like a beef one, that that's gonna take all day, if not a whole day, to get that thing done. Where like chicken might be a couple hours, and you can get away with that. Aaron, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but in the San Francisco airport, I'm telling you, I had some of the best chicken pho I ever had. Yeah, there was, a, there was a place in the San Francisco when I was coming back from you. And normally I don't go for chicken pho at all, but I just said, what the heck? And uh, it yep. was really good. Yeah, nice. yeah. Yeah. But um, do you make your own bone broth or do you buy the bone broth? How do you do that? Oh, yeah. You'll roast the bones and, and you'll throw it in the pot with, and then put in a ton of seasonings and you got to skim it off the top uh, and just keep watching it. You know, but then, you know, it sits there for a while. Kind of like how, you know, I guess when they make ramen, right? They just put pig's feet in there and it's let all this, this fat congeal. Right. And it's like, it, it takes time, yeah. Yeah. Heat, time. And, and then you, you get what you want, right? Over the, the long period, just like, you know, if I want to make like uh, birria tacos, right? I was like, I, I kept seeing it on, on Instagram. I'm like, what is yeah. a birria taco? And I ordered it. I was like, this is kind of cool. Let me try to make this. It looks super easy. And it was. And, and I'm like, now it's like, hey, you know, cook with some dried up peppers and make a na- really nice sauce out of it. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, just trying to find new stuff all the time. And, and that's what I'm always looking to do. Yeah. I noticed that like you, you would say, hey, I'm going to try making this at uh, one night, like. Uh, just, and it's always kind of fast like in our in our group chat we have, and there's, then the pictures start going up. And I I know you spend hours doing this stuff, too, so because <laughs> we see it from inception to do it, so it is really good. You know, with pho on, on, so it seems to me in the last ten years, pho has kind of exploded in this country. Like I don't remember getting pho till I was maybe in my early forties, to be honest with you. It, like it wasn't something you could have, but it seems to have. Is if you noticed it's something that's exploded, or is it something maybe just because of your culture you you you've known about it? But it seems like to me it's there weren't all these places like ten years no, ago. I, I mean, you got all types of people making fun now because the, the thing is, I mean, it, it's it's there's different levels of where you want to go with it. You can make it cheap and and make tons of it, and there'll be great profit in there, and and people will love it because they like cheap food, right? And, you know, it, it, and pho typically isn't going to be like $20, $30 for a bowl of pho. Um, and, and so, you know, it, but then you'll also have people who want to put a gourmet touch on, right? You know, okay, let's put some smoked brisket on there and, and some other nice cuts of meat uh, or, or exotic animals in the pho. And, and it's a different dimension. For me, with, with a lot of Asian cuisine, I, I tend to want to be very traditional. Like my dim sum, right? I'm like, I don't want the the, the bougie dim sum. I want the traditional, um, very cheap and, and dirty dim sum. That's, that's my favorite. Because yeah. I'm like, that to me is what dim sum is not. I mean, I had some dim sum, I think, in Vegas. And, and it was like Iberian pork in a soup dumpling. I was like, this is pretty good. I begrudgingly, I did say it was good. But I, I, that's not something I would do on a, on the normal every day. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the soup dumplings. That's kind of what I like. You know, when they have the liquid inside them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh. I just went to uh, Philly. And, and normally, every time we go to Philly, I remember JD was always like, dim sum garden. And we and we go there all the time. And it's like, it's soup dumpling that's crispy. And then I just went there and I met another friend. And she's like, no, you got to go to Tom's dim sum. Because over there, 
it's the guy that started Dim Sum Garden and he had a two year non compete yeah. and then now he's got his own restaurant and I was like, whoa, this place is badass too. Yeah. They, they have some really good dim sum in Philadelphia. I, I, uh, it's probably one of people don't realize it. There's some very, yeah. And that it's, one takes card versus the other one's cash only. I'm like, that's not, <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. receipts like in Chinese. I was like, I remember I filed an expense report with like a Chinese written receipt with no numbers. Yeah. I was like, that's all they gave me, dude. I, I can't, I don't know, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, I will say that, uh, more, if you've been to Morimoto's at all in like, well, he has chain, but there's one in Philadelphia. Uh, it's right down the block from, uh, Holtz actually in downtown the Hemingway. No, I haven't been to that one. Um, he does have a restaurant in Wynwood called Momosan and that one's uh-huh. pretty awesome. It's like ramen and it's like a bunch of uh, Asian yeah. dishes there. So that, that yeah. one's great. I've, I've seen him there a couple of times actually. So I've got a couple uh, pictures of Morimoto. Cool dude. I, I have not seen morimoto there but i will tell you his restaurant in philadelphia is a definite celebrity destination i've seen many celebrities there probably the most interesting thing that ever happened to me is i was going to a fish concert and i had gone with my buddy down for the day to hang out in philadelphia we went for a late lunch there and the the band is having lunch at the table right next to us (laughs) so it was really cool yeah so yeah i got we got some pictures and some menus signed as well which was really cool so and they were literally like hey what are you guys doing we're going to see you guys tonight actually (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh we couldn't get we, we we couldn't get any backstage stuff we didn't ask him for that or anything but but it was still pretty cool so uh yeah that was cool um kind of before we wrap up this segment on you've always talked about the michelin star restaurants um maybe for folks who don't know first of all what is a michelin star uh restaurant and how does that work and what do you look for when you kind of are tracking these michelin star restaurants yeah, I mean, the origin of the Michelin stars was just, it, it was made by the tire company, the French tire company. It was I actually never knew people. that until you just said that. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was to encourage people to travel and drive around. So they wow. were like, hey, this place is really good. And, and so the ratings. Is, so now in today's world, I, I mean, it's a big deal to get your Michelin stars. So, there, you know, you could get one, two or three. And, and there's maybe about 130 or maybe 140 three-star right. Michelin restaurants in the world. I think the United States has something like maybe eight or 12 probably like 12 i think something like that and so yeah i mean you go to any one of these i, I mean sometimes they're a couple hundred bucks sometimes it might be 500 bucks sometimes i think some of them go well over a thousand bucks right and you know i just took my dad to a three-star michelin um for for father's day and uh you know we hadn't been there in five years and but i'm like yeah we're gonna do cool stuff like eat a helium balloon Mm-hmm. or um you know watch them make a canvas of ice cream and, and and all this stuff and they actually had a smoked cod that had been smoked in cigar smoke um so that was kind of cool you know and it's just like you know in some places it might be experimental type of food and molecular gastronomy it might be an omakase it it, it could be just very great farm to table with a lot of creativity i mean barcelona had some great michelin rated places where yeah you just see creativity in the plating um, you know, in San Francisco, there's there's Atelier Crenn, and, and I think I went to Benue there as well. Um, and it's just, when you go to the fine dining, I mean, it's also like, uh, if, if you're a huge fan of wine, um, you're going to find some of the best sommeliers in the world working at some of these restaurants. Yeah. And, and they have great beverage programs. Um, or, hey, you just go, hey, I just want cocktails to pair with my tasting menu. And a lot of them are tasting menus. But there's a lot, too, that are a la carte, and, and they all do such a great job. Because, I mean, you meet any of these people working in these restaurants, they are busting their tails like seven days a week, missing holidays, and and with a draconian work ethic. You know, you just watch it. Yeah. I mean, I have some friends that have worked in these three-star Michelin places, and I'm like, how are they? Like, their quality of life is tough, but they love what they do. Yeah. And so, and it's like this mutual respect of like, man, they get to work in flavor too. 
it's just in a different vein. Have you have you seen the show The The Bear? I love the bit. I mean, it's a Chicago. I mean, that's, TV that's show. like my insight into how that all works and like how that stuff goes. And it just, it's, I would assume that people that have worked in that industry, like that probably is like a little PTSD for them because it like, it, it's a very hectic show, you know, and it's, you could, I would assume their blood pressure like just pops up watching this yeah. show. The pressure of VIPs, maintaining yeah. your ratings. I mean, I went to a three star Michelin in London. And then the next year they lost all their stars. Like, oh, oh yeah. that hurt, man. <laughs> but at least when I went, it had three stars, right? So I was like, yeah. all right, cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, you talked about omakase uh, on, and that's where the chef kind of decides what you're going to get. Oh, yeah. You're not yeah. ordering anything. And I told you, I hadn't, I told you I hadn't done that. It's something I want to do. I, I've always been a little afraid to do it uh, just because of the egg factor. But um so but I do want to have allergies I, a lot of times. So if you, and you just say, hey, I've had egg allergies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, there we go. Yeah. Well, I don't like egg. And they'll be like, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. They don't that's cool. use egg. Sometimes they do. That's good. Often. That's good to know. Yeah. Because I said I, I definitely want to do it. But you're, you're, you're a fan of that, right? The amakaze? Yeah. Well, well, what do you think of sea urchin? Is that something you would eat? <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> I know Aaron wouldn't eat it. I would not. Yeah. yeah. No, it, you know, it's just, yeah, it's like a chef's choice. So the chef just will cook up whatever you know, really great cuts that they got. And you, generally when you go to Omakase, and Omakase in Miami is, is really terrific because it doesn't need to be Michelin star rated. You can go from Omakase from like 50 bucks all the way up to like 600 bucks or even more than that. Um, and, you know, some Omakase's might be like seven, seven plates. Others might be 19. And then others might be 19 plus however many more you want. And I think one was like 17 um, dishes in an hour. And I was like, wait a second. The math on that is not a lot of time to eat and actually enjoy the food, let alone yep. take pictures of it and video and all that stuff. I usually like to do when I'm, you know, out with my foodie friends. Nice. Nice. So Anya, we'll definitely be continuing to follow your, your food journeys. Um, I always love following it. I love going to restaurants with you. You've never let me down. <laughs> um, so I look forward love to being we... hot dogs, bro. <laughs> oh, those call me hot dogs and money, except for the quail egg. I could not do the quail egg. <laughs> uh, I forget who, when I was, I think Ben Lee didn't get his Colombian hot dogs when we were in, um, Miami. So we're going to do it next time. Uh, yeah, uh, because yeah. you guys were right by some really good places. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I go the place I go to in Miami for hot dogs is Arbiter's. I, I yeah. that place to me is the best. It's one of the best hot dog places around. It's the best. Yeah, you got to get the, the Sabret beef though. You get the Sabret beef the dog. Brand. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. a brand I know from down here. Yep, sure. they do a great. They do a great New York hot dog. There, they have the sauerkraut, the red sauce. Uh, it, it's it's they do they do fantastic with it yeah, there's a nice snap to those hot dogs that they yeah, have and, and their chicago dogs legit too because they it, have the poppy seed bun and i'm like i can't mm-hmm. find yes. it here yeah <laughs> yeah i was you know i don't know who i was talking i said i was talking to my son and we actually there's by the way there's by the way a chicago restaurant has just opened up in charlotte um this mm-hmm. is like in the last few weeks it's called uh wrigley dogs and if i saw stace was out there if stace has been there let me know um because i've heard nothing but great things about it. they do the italian beef they do the beef around the sausage. They do yeah, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing they got to have, though, to really be really Chicago, it's called the pizza puff. You know, it's a it's a it's basically like a little puff pastry that's stuffed with like pizza, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, cheese, tomato sauce and meat. I believe and, I saw that on the online menu. I believe yeah. it was on there. Yes. And it's deep fried. So it's real bad. You know, yeah. You, you can't <laughs> eat like two of them. You can yeah. only eat one as a snack and it's yeah. really hot. But if yeah. you eat two, you're going to be in a food coma and you're knocked out. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I'll be reporting on that place at some point. I saw Terrence Riley tried to put up a picture of an Italian beef, and, and he was just so <laughs> wrong. I mean, it was just – I mean, that battle I'm going to let Abe fight or you fight because I'm not a Chicago guy. But I, I, I think I know what Chicago beef is, and that wasn't it. <laughs> it's got to be dipped hot, man. Dip yeah. hot. I mean, I'll make yeah. a beef, you know, if I, if yeah. I have to. I got the deli slicer. It's not very yeah. good deli slicer, uh, but it'll do the trick. Yeah. But yeah, the poppy seed bun is is absolutely essential for a Chicago, and and the the relish has to be the right relish. Oh, that neon green. You have to, yeah. You relish. cannot have that 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 dill relish. Is that, you that have is, four peppers and the, you know it's gotta yeah. be right. So it's gotta oh, be right. Yeah, you celery cannot, salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so no, it's good. All right. So before we go to break, I got another uh, kind of fun question. This is the Espinosa today in sports history question sponsored by espinoza cigars makers of award-winning brands such as espinoza 601 and knuckle sandwich smoke espinoza and smoke espinoza every day all right so today i'm, I'm going to give a fun fact of something that i'm going to give you a question that, that the answer is like fun fact that's happened today in sports history um so i tried to make something the hint is i tried to make something that on could answer and maybe challenge aaron a bit on this okay so the question is Okay. This pitcher who pitched the majority of his career with the St. Louis Cardinals, but later played for the Cubs, was inducted into the Hall of Fame on this day in 1953. Who is that pitcher? And if I will give a hint if you need a hint. I'm gonna need a hint because that was way before <laughs> my time. They, they, he has he has his initials are the same letter. And if I if I need to give another hand, I'll give you I'll give you I'll tell you what the letter is. All right, what's the letter? D. Nope, you got me. I don't got it. Aaron. All right. So not to be confused with his brother Daffy. Are we talking about Dizzy Dean? Correct. Damn, All right. that's what I was gonna say. But I thought he was played <laughs> in the 30s or something. Yeah, it's way back. It's way back. He, he played like I think late 30s to like mid 40s or something. He, oh, he, so he didn't get inducted to like way, way 53. Way. He got yeah, he got inducted in 53 on his ninth ballot. Yeah. Actually. So he was at you know, you go through 10 ballots on, but he got out on the ninth ballot. He only won 150 games too, but I think some of the stuff with the war was taken into account with that too. Yeah, a lot of those players from that era. Yeah, I don't know if he, but I know he took some years off, and I don't know. I I gotta be honest, someone may notice. I don't know if it was because of the war or not. But uh, but that is correct. <laughs> okay, so we'll do is we'll do one more uh round uh just kind of reads for the pay the bills, and then we'll get into the last segment here. As like I said, uh, on these were shorter segments. So, all right. So I want to mention, of course, J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, J.C. Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 128 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman was premium cigars by hand-in-hand operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American, and the Angel Cuesta. The J.C. Newman Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's a brick house, Pillow de Ma, El Baton, Quorum, and Yago cigars are hand-rolled. J. 
J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond Cigars are handmade by Tobacco Art A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocational training, and clean water. J- visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas line and the Cuevas Reserva line, including the latest release, Sangue Nueva. And uh, if, of course, if they don't carry those brands, be sure to ask your local for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars, from our casa to yours. And this is our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust uh, Industry Talk Deliberation segment. Sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the half-wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Corita Tricky Chaka, and in 2022 with the Mi Corita Um, Visit dtcigars.com to find a purveyor that carries the brand of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right. Uh, and the last thing I just mentioned before we get into the segment, again, if you you didn't get in on the contest for the travel humidor, the, the custom uh, artwork on there. Uh, go, uh, just go on the, tonight. You can go and put in your favorite Drew Estate brand. Hashtag it with DE4L. DE for life, but DE4L it has to be DE4L for me to pick it up. And then tomorrow you can get it on the website. I'm going to open it up to everybody. We'll pick a winner and we'll get it sent out to you. So again, thanks to Ann and Tom for that as well. All right. Um. Aaron, you know, normally we do a lot of heavy industry talk. I was sick of PCA talk. I wanted to do something lighter tonight. So I picked some lighter topics tonight. All right. Um, a little more fun. I'm just tired of PCA talk at this point. Uh, and I, I have a ton of PCA recapping still to do. <laughs> so these are questions I, I kind of just, I was thinking about this. Um, they're kind of like, uh, like you know, we're cigar, we're cigar enthusiasts, right? And I think these are questions we can all relate to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have different thresholds, a different barometer for how we answer these questions. So I'm kind of curious. And here, here's the first, here's the first question I'll mention. Um, how many humidors? Um, and let's first answer this with humidors. All right, and then I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it a different way. Actual humidors, whether a desktop humidors, upright humidors, do you have? And how many do you think becomes a point where you have too many? <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll go for it <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, I, I know what your answer is on this one i know your answer on this one i mean does a cooler count a cooler no cooler? we're not doing no, cool we're not cool. actual humidors actual humidors that you uh a, a wine door doesn't count yeah oh it counts that, i'll say it counts. counts it's something that you know is actually sealed it's okay. meant for cigars this <laughs> is one for cigar. Okay. yeah i'm gonna answer a different spin on this question after this that's why i'm, I'm gonna divide it into two okay so i've got my wine door I've got a tower humidor. I've got a double wide cabinet humidor. Yeah. And then I think I, ha- I have a humidor valet on my front desk. I have a year of the rat one somewhere in my house. And then I think I have a DE25. So I think I have like six fairly large capacity humidors. And then I have office stuff, but that's not in my house. Yeah. When is it too much, Ann? On is my, <laughs> then the next question with that. When is like what, too much? I guess like when when you start running out of space, you know, like I, I start, you know, my dad gave me a really big tough time when I had everything in a cooler 
he's like get you need to get a tower humidor and he and so i, I was like okay i better get the big ass one because i know i got too many cigars and, and i'm still out of space so it's it's yeah. yeah when you love cigars and you keep buying cigars and you don't have the time to smoke them all the, all the yeah. time and it's like it piles up man yeah all right aaron uh all right so i have a wine door and i have a ca- uh, cabinet they're both empty. I am moving away from humidors. I have decided the time has come that humidors are not something I like anymore. I don't like the maintenance for them and any of that stuff. So uh, I have those. I will be selling those. Um, I do have, like on said, I do have a uh, Year of the Rat humidor. I do have an Undercrown humidor. I'll be keeping those. Uh, not I won't be using them, but I will be keeping them. Um, but yeah, I, I am... I've officially decided that humidors are not for me. So one is too many. One is too many. Yes. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the answer. Are you, are you going to go to kind of like the cooler model? Like, cause I'm starting to do that as well. Yeah. When we get to the net, your second half of this question, I will uh, tell you okay. my problem. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to answer this. Yeah. All right. So I have two, I have two upright humidors upstairs yeah. in my office. I have a, I have, three desktop humidors one in the office upstairs one in the uh the parlor (laughs) in my house and one in my bedroom so i have five and every and i and every time i add a humidor it's too much it's like when you add a humidor all you do is you don't save space you add you're adding yes you're adding to it right so right at this point, anything I add to this is 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 too much, but I use the upright humidor. One is for reviews, and then one is my personal. So I have a review humidor uh, that uses the Hydra system in it, and it's I I really make it has temperature control in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's the Ardu unit I have. So and that works really well. The temp Although- the temperature regulation is nice to have. Although I have my ghetto style, which is always my my Ziploc gallon bag that's always stuffed with cigars. People are like, what the hell yeah. is that? I was like, I don't know, man. I just got okay. a cigar. So then there's the closet, which is the overflow. <laughs> right. And I have these Ziploc bags and I and I, I'm constantly putting bovidas in, in the humor in the coolers and stuff. And it's yeah. the, but that's not stuff that's reviewed. Uh that's stuff that uh I need to donate to cigars for warriors. Yeah, uh, honestly, that's what I need. And, and it's, but what's cool is it's alphabetized. So oh, it's and and let me tell you, alphabet. If you're gonna go to that system, Aaron, alphabetize. Yeah, I I think I'm beyond that point. Like I I don't think I can ever go. I, I when I first got into cigars, I had a spreadsheet and I had everything documented, quantities where it yeah. was, all that stuff. When I got to like a thousand cigars, I kind of stopped. Uh, actually, when I got when I started going to the trade show, I stopped. Because I would come back with more cigars than I would know what to do with. And I was like, I'm not going to sit down and catalog all these cigars. So I stopped at that point. So I'm at the point now I can't I can't go back, I don't think. Now, now, <laughs> the trade show cigars are a completely different animal. <laughs> right. They stay in the same bag. Yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah. reviewed, but I don't want to mix them in with the other stuff either. You right? know what so, year it came from because they're all together. Yep, yeah, they're exactly. all together. They're all together. So... Um, you know, every year I go to Altidus and I get those humidified bags. Mm-hmm. And this year we were there and we didn't get them. They had them too. And like, we forgot yeah. to get them. Uh, and then when they were gone, when we got back there. So, um, but I had, uh, so yeah. All right. Second part of this question. We have a Ziploc bags. How many Ziploc bags you have? And when is it too many? 
So I had a Ziploc bag conversion project because I, <laughs> I, I found a tray that actually fit in some of the cigars. And I, I think I turned seven Ziploc bags to like three. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I got, it looks a little bit more organized. Um, actually, half of my tower humidor is like singles that are in Ziploc bags because yep. I'm, you know, there's trays in there, but the yeah. trays aren't very deep. So I'm like, this is not going to work, man. So they're still in Ziploc bags, which is a terrible way to store cigars long term. But I'm like, I, I don't got time for that. Man. Yeah. So I'm now I'm now at six coolers. Um, you know, I've got that. That's that's what I've gone to. I've just gone to the coolers pretty much. That's where I'm storing everything. Um, I do have a couple of Tupperdoors that I maintain stuff. I have a specific one just for review cigars because it's really easy to kind of keep that. Uh, I got I think there's like 40 or so cigars in there that we have in our queue kind of thing. So that's some it's that's easy to do. it. But I do have like 30 Ziploc bags um that i'm trying to get rid of so these are all like ones i'm like selling to the local guys for like 50 bucks a bag or something like that just to kind of get, get get them out of my hair um but yeah it's uh i think once you get to like 10 bags it's too much man you just gotta because you gotta you know, like you said you gotta keep you know rotating bovidas in and out of them and stuff like that it's just a pain i got 40 yeah okay because they're alphabetized because they're alphabetized so that's why i have 40 it's not that they're 40 filled some of them are very empty actually but i have like you know for almost every letter of the alphabet and then some have multiples yeah so so, uh, yeah drew estate's got like a lot (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's certain brands where you just have a lot of stuff so yeah Yeah, so drew estate's got yeah but uh i don't think i have any leagues in those bags i think they're all in in my personal humidor so uh and usually if i buy a box of scars for myself it goes into the personal human the overflow stuff is just overflow stuff that really i'm gonna maybe smoke on a show or give give away to cigars for warriors or something like that or Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that all right let's kind of go uh did you answer that yeah, he's oh, yeah, he, so yeah, yeah. He did. okay. So let me I'm gonna jump to question three, Aaron, on this one because okay. it's related. So not ziploc bags, but you know those ziploc pouches you go into the cigar store, you buy three cigars and they give you a pouch. Yeah. How many of those you have lying around? And, and are there too <laughs> many? Can you have too many of those? I have a ziploc bag full of these ziplocs. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I probably have a hundred and fifty of those bags. So well, well, uh, you know, is it like what I have in Miami or what I also have in Chicago? Because I uh, both, have a yeah, Chicago can't... stash. And, I, I used to have that stash at my dad's house, too. Yeah. I used to keep it at my dad's house. Yeah. yeah and, you know, the, the, the shops that always have the nice bags, you know, like Casa de Monte Cristo and Chicago always have the nicest bags. And, and yeah, like, yeah those, I love those bags because, <laughs> yeah, those, those kept the humidity really well. Yep, I toss but, the ones that have the sli- little slider on them. I don't like those. They yeah, eventually they, they pop. Yeah. Eventually they pop. Capacity. Yeah. More pay- That's why I use the gallon bags. <laughs> yeah. Terrible, but I'm like, it doesn't take. The, the worst is, you know, uh, yeah, those slide ones are bad, but I will send, I, I shouldn't say, I, I don't throw them out. I will use them and send stuff to people in them. Yeah. So I, 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 I honestly, I, I can't have too many of those. Those I like having around because again, yeah. I could, I could send stuff. I could take cigars over to someone's place and th- those are, you know, I never, I never could be short of those. Yeah. But Sometimes, you always bring home more than you, take out right yeah but some of them are just not worth keeping either they're, they're very yeah. flimsy so you, you're gonna toss those but it's like the yeah. thin the thin plastic ones but some of those more nice ones yeah i, I remember casa cuevas sent me like 200 of them once they have great ones mm-hmm. the, they, they they're the ones that's the they don't have the zip like the snap pipe type so they're really good no i definitely have one improper way to store cigars and i have a giant contractor bag 
full of bovidas and Ziploc bags. And I was like, I don't know what's in this bag, but I, it's a lot of cigars. And when yeah. the cleaning ladies come, I'm like, do not throw out that bag. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But see, the nice thing where you're at is that the humidity level is like, it's you don't have to worry too much about it, right? Yeah, yeah you can just, I remember, yeah, we just leave cigars on. It's like, <laughs> some cigar shops are not humidified. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. The next quote, we're going to get away from humidifying things. How many working lighters do you have lying around? And when I say working lighters, ones you use, not ones that are just like, uh, you're not. You're... Me? I probably use, let's see, I like a, a stick lighter. So I have one of those single flame. Um, I have a a maxi jet. So I use that one. Yep. And then I think I have this one, which is because, yeah, I, I, I went to Tom and I was like, hey, I need like five lighters because I constantly lose lighters. So I have this one. It's like a triple flame. So yeah, I use about like three lighters and keep that in the rotation. Yeah, I kind of use two lighters. I have a double flame and a single flame. That's kind of what I do. And like the only time I use the single flame is when I'm like lighting a Lancero or like a, a Perfecto that's got, you know, like that tapered foot that you just need to really thin, thin burn to start. Um, that's really it. So I don't, I don't, I don't rotate through a bunch of lighters or anything like that. I mean, I have a ton that don't even have, but have never had butane in them. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't have a need. I don't, I, I don't smoke in a lot of different places around my house. So, you know, the lighter, I just grab my lighter and take it with me where I'm going to, where I'm going to smoke. So. I have two numerous to count. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. So I got like, I have a maxi jet in the parlor that I keep there. I don't ever leave the house <laughs> with it. Uh, I have some in the studio. I keep a ton of them in the studio. I probably about 10 in the studio. Like I'm using the Drew state one tonight. Um, but then I have these, these plastic deals. Go on planes. Yep. Well, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so let me tell you about this. Okay. So these have been for the past seven or eight years have been the greatest thing to take on planes. You could put them in. Your, you, you used to be able to put them in your travel. I say used to. Okay. Um, and they're all plastic and they work great, by the way. Whoever makes these, they work fantastic. However, some of the airports have started to upgrade the x-ray. Yeah. And these are now getting picked up. I will tell you this on Fort Lauderdale confiscated all mine. Oh, man. <laughs> Where I don't fly into Fort Lauderdale anymore. Like when I was flying, <laughs> and I, you know, I don't fly to Miami a lot, but I, I did. Fly, yeah. So I took, I had like six of these in my bag and I lost them all. Right. They took them all. And, uh, but Miami don't have, the, but, and it was funny because Bear was complaining. At, he said, I keep getting these taken away. How do you have them? I'm like, ah, it's probably you. Right. I'm like, you just have bad yeah. luck. Right. No, they, they, so, um, I, I was honest with the guy. I said, look, you know, I thought we could take these on planes, right? I've been doing it for years. He goes, yeah, we just upgraded the x-ray equipment because we've been taking a lot of these. Yeah. He's like, if you want to go mail them, uh, you know, I'll let you go mail them. He goes, but I can't let you take it on. I'm like, you're not allowed to take these on planes. So I said, take them. These, I have so many of these. So, so I can't have enough of them. So I have too many to count is my answer here. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's the next question, guys. When do you finally say, it's time to get rid of those empty cigar boxes. And then what do you do with them? Okay, so my Chicago stash of cigar boxes. So yep. I told my dad, I was like, I think you yep. can throw all these away because I, I don't really, I'm not going to make some arts and crafts projects. I, I don't do that stuff. 
um, in Miami, I throw them away because I have no space anymore. So I'm just like, that mm-hmm. instantly, if it's done, it gets like a Ziploc bag, it gets chucked into the humidor, but then the box, I, there's no more box room. So I'm like, there's no space, so it's got to go. Yeah, when I get to about a dozen, it's time to get rid of them. And then uh, I'll post them on next door or Craigslist, and uh, they're gone like within 15 minutes. Yep. So. Very I similar. Know, I don't know yeah. what people do with them, but they like them. Yeah, very similar to Aaron with me, but my wife's my wife's like these boxes got to go. I put them up. I put them in a in a, in a we have a garage here in the a closet in the garage, and she says it's time for them to go. She's like, take the ones you want, but and then she puts them out on like uh, she goes on Facebook to the community forum here for yeah. the, for the development, and we put them out, and they're gone in fifteen minutes, like Aaron says, and people yeah. want them for crafts and stuff, and uh, um, and and you know what's funny? I've never had anyone like be. Pick, like like cherry pick it they all take, right. they take every yeah. one of them and there's yeah. some boxes that are crappy um <laughs> i will say my my wife took two cigar boxes and made jewelry boxes out of them uh yeah. she, she did like, it with the Toronto state reserve box she did that with like the hoya boxes so like you know you get the numero uno or whatever like those cinco tacadas those boxes are super nice like the paint the paint is yeah like all lacquered and it's all super nice so those those are like probably gold mines to these people that you know picking these boxes up yep. so yeah yep so yeah it's uh yeah so yeah definitely uh yeah like i said there's a point where you, they got i hate like i don't want i won't burn them and i won't throw them out though i just can't <laughs> do it uh unless the unless the lid breaks or something like that like uh like the floor with the football cigars they sent us um they have them nailed shut like you just you destroy the box you can't like, yeah re- do you guys put boxes in your humidor at all, or do you take them out of the box? I I I broke down some boxes to like put at the bottom uh, of the coolers. Like the yeah. whole bottom of the cooler is uh, got cedar planks or you know the little sleeves that come in the in the boxes. So I I, I put some cedar at the bottom of all the all of them. Yeah, no, um, you know, I have a lot of sealed boxes and then I have, um, you know, a lot of the original release stuff. So I usually keep yeah. the boxes. I'm like, this is literally the first box. I was actually smoking the first box of H99 the other night. I was like, that's five years old now. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and now it's the, the piles dwindling. I'm like, oh man, I'm bummed out because I'm like, literally that's the original. Man. Yeah. All right. Cigar tubes. <laughs> when do you? Do you keep them? Actually, do you keep them at all? Depends what Ziploc bag they're in because <laughs> I probably don't have the time to like uncap them, get worried about the mold. They get moldy. They get moldy really easy. I take them all out now. Yeah. Yeah. I take pictures yeah. if I'm doing a review and then that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I uh, I don't keep anything in tubes and I give the tubes to my daughter and she'll, she figures out stuff to do, play with them. So I don't know. She's like, mad scientist or something like that with her vials of whatever potion she's making <laughs> all right i have a drawer in the parlor where i just been like hoarding and i don't throw out these tubes and my wife's like you got to throw out these tubes yeah so, well, maybe i'll send something to your daughter but yeah I, maybe you I, if you have enough you maybe you can recycle them and get some money back <laughs> i like i just i i love the designs on some of these tubes like i feel i don't know why i'm saving them like i'm not gonna put a yeah. cigar back in them right i just save them like it's like ridiculous i feel like i i feel bad throwing them out it's like but but yeah they really there's no value in that tube i mean i'll tell you the ones i've kept uh are the atabay tubes those are really nice so yeah uh and the padrone those padrone square tubes with the 90 that look like perfume mm-hmm. bottles or perfume sprayers yeah 
All right, here's the next question here. We're talking about swag here. How many go? When do you decide you have too many cigar caps, baseball caps? I think when you can't like fit any more on your shelf. Like <laughs> I've right. got some shelves that were, you know, like I moved into the house and there's a walk-in closet that was like a woman's closet. So there's like shoe shelves. So that's where I put all my hats. So I'm like, it hasn't filled up yet. So I always keep getting more hats. Because I mean yeah. we, we like making cool hats. So I'm always like, hey, I need a, like one of that and another one of this. And I just rotate the hats, you know. Because sometimes your hats get dirty. And I'm like, nah, man, you gotta yeah. keep rotating them. Don't wear the same hat every day. Yeah. I don't really keep a lot of cigar hats because um a lot of people like to make cheap hats and i'm not a fan of cheap hats so uh, if it's good quality i'll keep it but if it's cheap stuff i'm just gonna talk i'm gonna put it in the goodwill donation and it's gonna go out so i have a problem because i have too many i don't throw <laughs> them out i should that's what i'm gonna do aaron and i have baseball caps on top of that <laughs> yeah so i have phillies caps i have non-phillies caps <laughs> I just I've I've collected caps for forty years. I got caps. I remember when, when we went on vacation in California. I went to a Padres game and I got a Padres cap. I still have it, right? Yeah. Like I don't throw these caps up, but I got way too many cigar caps. Uh, it's got to be the cigar caps. I are over a hundred. I got. I don't wear most of them. Yeah. Some of them I'll wear occasionally. And then, but you know what I do like on? I love the barn smoker caps. They change oh, every yeah. year. That's what's really cool. Yeah, so, and then also getting you know threading embossing or or patch that's embossed. And, yeah, you know I'm always like, don't make it flat yeah. and just silk screen. Just yeah. make it like uh, feel like cool, uh, you know. And then I gotta say, Aaron did the best. The DP cap is one of the best ones out there. So it was that's a true cap. That's a cap I know Aaron would have a fitted cap, and it's high quality. Yeah, yeah. so it speaks uh, to the people. It speaks right. to the people. It's a, it, 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 it's a it's a it's an eight point five Aaron. That cap. there you go. Thank you. I appreciate Aaron. that. <laughs> All right. Next question. Where do your cigar bands go to die? What do you do with your cigar bands? They die in instant death. I don't save any of them. I, you know, a lot of people save them, but yeah, I throw them away. I don't know why. It's, yeah, I just chuck them all. <laughs> Mine go into a Ziploc bag. <laughs> but then once the Ziploc bag gets full, I'm like, why did I keep all these? And they go right into the recycling bin. <laughs> Because I keep them, uh, like I keep them nice. Because most of them are from reviews, right? Yeah. So when I'm, you know, getting to the end of the cigar and I'm taking like that final third picture, like I still need them to be nice because I'm gonna like rest the cigar on top of like the secondary band or something like that. So they're all in great shape, but um, I don't know anybody that like does any crafts with them. Um, maybe I should put those on Craigslist and see what people do. But uh, I just once they get the bag gets full, I just put them in the recycling bin. I use the uh, the bank <laughs> problem. <laughs> I use the bank, <laughs> yeah. uh, but here's the thing. Like I, I do give these away to people who want to craft with them at a cigar store, but I crushed all these now. I stuffed them in there. So now, yeah. now it's just decoration. Yeah. I'm the same. I got too many cigar bands and you know, um, Carlito Fuente burns the Opus X bands every time. Oh yeah. He doesn't want anyone taking them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I actually saw him. And it's funny. I saw him doing it. Right. And I didn't ask him about it, but when I was driving Jose around Las Vegas, I asked Jose and he said, yeah, Carlito does that because he doesn't want anyone uh, ever trying to get those bands. And he's paranoid about that. So, yeah. So, yeah. All right. The last question is for on only. All right. I, I didn't write this right, but um, on how many Lanceros do you have? <laughs> <laughs> And if you want to just, if you don't know the amount, like you ballpark it here. 
realistically, I mean, at least 500, man. That's, that's, that's a fair. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, it might be even more because, I mean, I've got like herfadors that, like, you know, like this thing. I've got a couple of these that are just completely full. I've got Ziploc bag after Ziploc bag full of Lanceros. It's, if I see one, you know, like that's the first thing I'm looking for when I go in a store. I was like, how many of these do they have? And, yeah. I, and I'm kind of judgmental because I'm like, how many of these do they have that I haven't tried? Because I'm like, if you have a bunch I haven't tried. And I remember the first time I went to Caribbean, I think I found like six or seven. I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, they get me, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's why, I gotta, you know, I, I got to go to the Lancero Mecca, which is like Stogie's of Houston, right? You know, yeah. I've never been there. I've heard great things about that store, too. Everyone, I've never heard anything bad. I saw Jorge actually at the show this year. Yeah. And he, I mean, he loves it more than anybody else. And, it's and he like, sells them and he sells them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people make them for him because they know yeah. that that's the place. right? Yeah. You know? And he's had some very good ones uh, that were done there too. So, uh, so one very- year uh, on one of the forums, I was a member of during the secret Santa, somebody sent me the complete set of Stogie's Lanceros and I still have them. I haven't smoked a single one of them. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if I have will. <laughs> Town everything, man. There's some rare ones in there. He's got the yeah. Tatawahe and the Illusioni are very hard to and get. I think those. there's a nomad, a nomad in there. No, too, I've had the nomad one. Fred yeah, he gave me the nomad one. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty, some good stuff in there. Yeah, the one he had the. I remember the first one that came out was the Room 101 Namakubi, mm-hmm. and it was really good. He actually sent me those. Uh, he's like, I want you to try these. They were really good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, he's definitely uh, into that. All right, on. Uh, we're at the end here, so we kept you a little late, but I want to thank you very much for being uh, on the show tonight. Uh, great having you. Long overdue. Um, and you know, thanks for all the stuff and the support you've given us. Uh, yeah, as well. Sure. Yeah, the Drew Estate team is always there for us. Um, and you're a great guy as far as just not only knowing you, you know, just being a friend as well. So we really do appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. Like I said, you know, I was a guy that was watching the shows 10 years ago, and now I'm here, and that's kind of crazy. But I also want to put a big shout-out and thank you to everybody watching out there as well. You know, they want to hear about our stories. They want to hear about what we're working on. And, and, and thank you to all the people out there that support the people of Nicaragua by smoking and buying our cigars. That's really, at the end of the day, when I walk onto that factory floor, I'm like, that's what gives my work a lot of meaning beyond just we make cool stuff, we have a great experience. It's like... This work is also virtuous in feeding the people of Nicaragua and providing them a lot of economic opportunities. So, I mean, it's 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 a great business to be in. And, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, you're welcome. And I want to thank Tom as well. Tom uh, was great in terms of getting the set up, working with, uh, you know, I know you're busy, we're busy. And uh, he really left no detail unturned uh, getting this all lined up. So um, great support as well. We really thank Tom as well. Because there's a lot of folks behind the scenes on, I know, that make your job easier uh, as well. So. Um, you know, you know, thanks as well to those folks. Okay, so I'm going to confuse everybody just to wrap up the show. <laughs> we're, we're next week's show, okay, is going to be primetime 277. We're going to do it on Tuesday night. <laughs> um, so it's that's the only we do special edition, but we're going to do we're going to do it on Tuesday night because we have another special edition planned later in the week. And to do three shows in a week was ridiculous. So, Aaron, thanks for your flexibility as well. Yep. But I wanted to get you in. But I wanted to get you in on the show also. Yep, was, I appreciate it because we have a big show next week. Um, we're gonna have on uh, three guests. Uh, we're gonna have on Pete Johnson, Abe the Babna, and Les Man of Cal- uh, not Calibre. He's been with Calibre of, of, of St. Dupont. We're gonna be talking uh, the Tatawai Anarchy. 
Um, we're really going to dive into this, guys. The history of that the NFT, the NFT. Yeah, the Anarchy yeah. NFT. Yeah, the Anarchy, the Anarchy NFT. But we're going to dive into the whole history of that project and actually how the Anarchy started. I don't know if we've a lot of people doing that, but um, Pete's on vacation in Europe. I hope he's back. Actually, <laughs> he messaged me from Corsica. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think he'll be back. So, because uh, they agreed to the date, so that date will be on uh, on Tuesday. August 1st. So that'll be a pretty big show we're going to have that night. Yep. So uh, I don't think we'll be smoking NFT cigars that night. So um, you, you, you didn't get one at the trade show to come back to smoke with? I did not get one at the trade show. Okay. Well, you're going to get left out, I guess. You got one? Yeah. Wow. We didn't get one. Seriously. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm oh, okay. Kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, I, well, it's funny because we were, you know, it's funny. We talk about like we see people got certain things at the trade yeah, show. Yeah. I understood. And I'm like, guys, you know, we, we can't, you know, it's, you know, we don't know who's getting water or anything. So I was like, but I know people got the soccer cutters. Did you get a soccer cutter? I did get a soccer cutter. We did not get soccer cutters. Oh, the man, guys are a little hot. <laughs> what is going on? Oh, man. No, but, but but we got plenty of cigars from Steve. I'm not complaining. Yeah, he yeah. really, they, like, we were there the last the last few hours and stuff. So last hours of the show with him. So all really good. So, so yeah, again, next Tuesday, uh, to confuse everyone, it'll be a, a, a Tuesday show, but it, there'll be a show Tuesday and we're going to be, well, we won't have a show next Thursday. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, I basically double booked shows the same week. So that was what the mistake was. And then I didn't want to have to, it just, I think this show makes more sense to do it under the uh, flagship brand here. So yeah, we'll do that. So happy you're going to be on Aaron and, uh, That'll be an entertaining show for sure with those three. Uh, and I'm happy to talk. I don't know if you've known Les. Les, I've known for a while. I've never had him on the show. So I'm kind of yeah. pumped on that. And they didn't, they're not doing a book tour either. Right. So so uh, check it out, guys, next week. But anyway, again, thanks to our audience as well. That's always the uh, most important part. Um, but that's going to wrap up Primetime Episode 276 into the Annals of History for Thursday, July 27th. Now, Friday, July 28th on the East Coast. We will see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys. See you.